tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make a call. Emma is producing today. Coming up on this morning's uh, programme, we'll speak about antisocial behaviour in Ross Grey. We'll be hearing more from our listeners on primary school children having mobile phones, or in this case, not having mobile phones. We'll speak to Irish-American author William Callahan, who has a, a great uh, temporary link. But what a story. What a story indeed. And we'll be talking about his... Uh, his links to the likes of Richard Nixon back in the 1960s in the States. So all of that uh, to come. Muriel Cuddy will be with us as well. And uh, the subject today for Muriel will be active listening. So, as I say, all of that and much, much more in the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 You can email tip today at tipfm. Com. We'll also play Tip FM's Match 3 game in association with Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical. And some great prizes up for grabs there. Let's have a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. And of course, needless to say, right across the newspapers, it's news of the trial and sentencing of Molly, Molly Martins and uh, her father, Tom, the Irish Independent. Their headline says, Don't be fooled by Molly's mask, a monster lurks beneath. And uh, Molly Martins and her father back behind bars for the 2015 killing of her husband, uh, Limerick businessman Jason Corbett, but could walk free indeed in as little as seven months. The Irish Daily Mail, their headline, again on the same subject, uh, Monster Molly is sent back to prison. The Irish Times, their headline on the sentencing, a judge queries accounts of Molly Martins and father before sending them to prison. Also on the Times today, the Peter McVerry Trust bought nine apartments in Burr in County Offaly that were developed by the former longtime auditor of the homeless uh, homelessness uh, charity with the sale taking place while the firm was auditing the charity's accounts. And uh, the Irish Examiner, and again, making reference to uh, Molly Martins, uh, a monster is lurking underneath the exterior. Uh, also on the examiner today, the accounts of 8,000 Electric Ireland customers may have been compromised by someone working on behalf of the company who was seeking to facilitate financial fraud. So that's a peek at what's making headlines uh, today. If you want to make a comment on any of that, again, we'd love to hear from you. That's 083 311 Now, people might be familiar with videos that have been circulating on social media in recent uh, times showing groups of young men fighting on the streets of Ross Grey. Now, opinion on what's causing this rise in antisocial behaviour varies. Some believe it's due to alcohol. Others, the lack of guardie in Ross Grey and, indeed, the influx of many refugees into the area. Well, our reporter Ellie was there for us yesterday and she joins us now. Good morning to you, Ellie. Morning, Fran. So what sense did you get from the people of Ross Grey yesterday about what's happening in their town, Ellie? First of all, I think there were, I spoke to a lot of people, but most of them very reluctant to uh, be recorded and to go on air. Why? And 
Well, they felt the ones that didn't want to come on air felt the reason for the unrest and the antisocial behaviour was down to the numbers of refugees in the town and they were afraid that if they said that, that they would be seen as being racist and they said they just didn't want to be drawn into that kind of argument. Uh, but they were telling me about some of... The incidents, I suppose, in Ross Grey over the last few weeks in particular, they say that uh, one person told me that Main Street in Ross Grey is a no-go area after 7 o'clock. A no-go uh, no area? A no-go area. Uh-huh. Uh, somebody told me that women who would routinely walk around the town in the evening for their daily walk, they now take a different route to avoid the Main Street. There's also routes that you would avoid uh, because of the number of refugees that are there who loiter in the area. They were saying that just outside the post office is a fairly dodgy area in the evening because large numbers of them congregate there. Now, not everyone was blaming the refugees for the unrest. Some people were saying it's an alcohol issue. They feel like the level of alcohol that's being taken by young people in Ross Grey is too much and they feel more than what other generations would have had before and that is leading to violence mm. and they say that coupled with the lack of Gardaí in Ross Grey that's what's stirring all of this unrest. Now they're saying that even though the station is is on Main Street Ross Grey they're saying that a lot of the time there might only be one guard in the station who can't leave the station so Gardaí then are being deployed from Nina to cover incidents in Ross Grey and that's leading to a lot of the unrest that by the time Gardaí arrive it's probably dissipated by then but it's you know it's been you, heightened you, enough. You met some of the business people as well. What what did you hear from them? A lot of them were saying to me that um, it's a difficult time for them and a couple of them even said to me they're not sure if they're going to be there in the next few months because they're finding it so difficult. And the reason they're finding it difficult they say is because people are afraid to come into town. They're afraid to be on the main street. Um, some of them even said that they get abuse um, from people. Now, I asked specifically what people, and they did say that refugees were quite difficult. One person said to me that that I suppose the level of entitlement was one thing that they were very frustrated by, that some people would come into a business and assume that they can pick stuff up and take it away for nothing. Because they're refugees. Because they're refugees and because I suppose, well, this person felt because they've been given so much, they probably feel like everything is available to them for nothing. So they told me that that's what was very frustrating for them having to say, well, this isn't, this isn't what they said to me exactly was what I tell them is that this isn't a charity, this is a business Mm, mm. and you have to pay. And he said a lot of them are very shocked by that. Now, I did actually meet a couple of refugees there as well yesterday. They didn't have a lot of English, so I only have one of them on on tape today. But even when I asked, how long have you been here? They didn't know what I was saying. When Mm. I asked, are you happy? They had no idea what I was saying. So none of them could really speak English. But to be fair, the few that I'd met had only been there for a couple of weeks and they were Syrian. Now, when I asked around as well where they were staying, they're kind of scattered all over. Any kind of vacant premises around the centre of Ross Grey seems to be rented out to house refugees. So they're not in kind of one area specifically, but uh, yeah, it's it's fairly scattered around. Mm. Um, the, the, uh, what scares me is that when I was looking at the videos, it appears to be local youths fighting with refugees as well and yeah. is there a fear that that could escalate in some in some way Ali is that is that a yeah there is a big fear and there's a fear maybe that that people could come in from outside 
Um, to, to infiltrate. Yes, in to infiltrate. Way, yes. Now, what it seems to be, I, you know, drink is probably a lot of it too. I, it sounds like when I'm asking what the cause of it is, people don't really know, but they say it, it could be as little as maybe a comment that's thrown by mm. either, yes. by yes. either side, yes, by course, either yeah. group. And then it kind of escalates then into a row when there's alcohol on board. But I think the overriding feeling was kind of frustration and people were saying that they just felt like the town was taken over. And business owners said that as well. And they felt that there was no real consideration for the impact it was going to have on and, businesses. And when people look to the future then of the town, Ellie, what, what sense did you get of that? Joe, every time I asked that, you'd only get one answer and it was, there's no future here. We have nothing here. That's what they would always say. We've no jobs here. We barely have Gardaí here. We've no services here. Um, one person told me Ross Grey isn't for Ross Grey people anymore. Uh, that they felt like the town was being taken from local mm. people. And, and these kind were of reasonable, the Abs- reasonable yeah, people. absolutely. Yeah. And I had great chats with a lot of them. They just didn't want to come on, on. They didn't want to be recorded. They didn't want to be identified. But I would say I didn't meet one person yesterday who was had a positive outlook on everything. Now, I must say the reason for the antisocial behaviour, they felt varied. It could have been alcohol, the lack of Gardaí. It wasn't all to do with refugees, but there was just a sense that maybe they were forgotten. Well, we have a listen to your Vox now, Ellie. This is a bunch of people that you, you did that get, I met yesterday, get, get, yeah. to, get to speak to. All right, let's have a listen to this. David, I know from Rose Gray. You're not. i just seen those videos and I, I, I couldn't believe what I've seen, actually. Yeah. Oh, it's got very bad everywhere. But from what I've seen in the videos, I, di- I didn't like it. Would you be concerned about what you well, saw? Very concerned. Yeah. That could go into smaller towns. and It's happening all over the country. It's just that it was highlighted here in Rosgrave through the social media. Only for that, I'd say that people wouldn't have known. What do you think needs to be done? Oh, it's very hard to comment on that as well. You know? I-, I think that if you, if you made um, a statement straight away, I'd be called a racist. Yeah. But just, I think that word is played out now. We're not racist, it's just that probably we'll lick our own country back for our children and our grandchildren. I'm very concerned about my grandchildren, what they're going to grow up in, what kind of a society is going to be. Now, I'm not saying that we can't paint them all, paint them all with one brush like, but that'd be just my opinion, you know. And I'm sure everyone will have an opinion, but they probably wouldn't like to come out and say it. But you know what they want to say. Where are you from? Syria. So you're a refugee here in Ross Gray? Yeah. Two weeks. For two weeks. What? Has it been good? Good, yeah. Very yeah. good. Where are you staying while you're here? House? Yeah. House and garden. The okay. garden. And you're happy? Yeah, very yeah. good. A lot of people concerned about what's happening here in Ross Gray, but is it as bad as this being portrayed? It's worse. Really? It's worse. And they're doing it especially in the weekends. They come out drunken pubs. And it's going to be I think it's a drink that uh, fuses the whole situation. Mm. You know, okay, so I just better off just l- l- less pubs. Refugees are being blamed for it? Is that fair, though? No, there's all national, Irish and foreign nationalities are involved. Oh. Camp, yeah. Mixture of the whole lot. Right. Can't just tie one, 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 one brush. A lot of sides are right. But do you think it's, it's a problem to do with alcohol? People think they match when they get through drinks down. Yeah. He men, whatever. But are you from Ross Grey yourself? Oh, yeah, born right out. Kennedy Park. And what do you think? There's a perception there that there's violence is on the increase in Ross Grey. What would you say to that? I agree with you. Every really? Saturday night, yeah. You no, know, I worked myself in a pub there, you know, for John Carr. 
I don't go out at night. I work down there. I never go out at night. Yeah. I won't come down this town at night time. What goes on down there? Why is that out of fear? I say it probably is. You know, drink is a lot of things, isn't yeah. it? It could be more than drink. Now, I'm not going to call anyone yeah. a lot. Everyone to their own in life, as I do say, but it is got out of hand, Ross Square has. Um, a lot of people are putting blame on the fact of the, the large influx of refugees to the area. Do you, is that playing a part in it? Can you blame them? You know, they have a life to live too. You know, I'm not going to be racist or anything. Maybe it could be, maybe it mightn't be. Maybe you have too many people mixing together. You know, yeah. you know yourself, young people are different. And we all get wild, don't we? Personally, said, I don't come up at night. <laughs> I stay at home or myself, I do. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I know it is going to hand now. Listening to what guys tell me, you know, when you work behind the bar and you hear stories, yeah. it is going to hand now on a Saturday night here. Is it like a Gardaían issue with it? Sure, I don't know. Did you ever see one around? It's like, I couldn't tell you the last time I've seen a garden this time. Seriously. I think they have to come from Nina, do they? I know the station's there, but someone told me before them now to have to come from Nina, but sure, you could be killed by that. That's 20 minutes of a drive and a half now. Top's yeah. 20 minutes, half hour. So that could be another aspect to it. could be another thing. Maybe yeah. if they were out in force, if you had a couple of them walking around on a Saturday evening or something, you know, yeah. just showing something. It might quieten it all down. I do not know. I don't like to see that they're being broadcasted everywhere around the place. Yeah. I think there should be something done about it. But okay. You know what I mean? I just don't think it's good that it's being broadcasted everywhere. I think they should be banned from social media. Right. Yes, I just think it's it's not fair. What do you think the root cause of it is? Because a lot of people are talking about, is it alcohol, is it lack of Gardaí, is it the influx of refugees to the area? I think it's the influx of refugees. I really do. I think, yeah. you know I mean? It's a small town, I just think there's too many in it. Yeah. Definitely. I don't know. I don't know. And it's just the Gardaí are doing their best as well. Okay. You know what I mean? It's just, I just feel the whole place is taken over with them. Okay. No. Yeah, it's interesting, Ellie. I mean, some concerns there, I suppose, about the reputation of uh, the town as mm. well. And remember years ago with Ross Gray stands up yeah. uh, so where they stood up against drugs and they did so extremely effectively yeah. indeed. But again, people were concerned about spotlight being on the town in a negative fashion. You That's know? true. But I think the Ross Gray stands up as a great example of what can be done at a community level if you have the right people yeah. coming together uh, with, the, with the best of intentions. And I'm sure that this could happen maybe in some other guise for this. But the problem is, of course, and we've heard it from a lot of people over the past few days with Cashel, is that anyone who speaks out or expresses any opposition or concern, you're kind of labelled as a racist. Mm. And that's a lot of the concern people have. Like that recording is only a very small minority of who I spoke to yesterday. The majority just wouldn't come on with me because they didn't want to be branded a racist. Some incredible stories coming into us as well. Now we can't verify them, yeah. so I can't read them out. But even if half of what I see here on the screen in front of me is true, there's a lot of issues. And the problem, of course, is, you know, the majority of them, and like many people said yesterday, the majority of them are, you know, genuine refugees who, you know, need help and mm. need support. And Irish people, I'm sure, are very willing to give that support. But among that, you probably have a lot of opportunists who are coming here as well to to maybe see what they can get. Mm. And the effect of that then is is portraying all of them, yes. I think, in a negative light. Is that light. the general feeling that you got yesterday? Um, it, yeah, I suppose the general feeling of it was yesterday was that they just feel there's too many here and, you know, that local people aren't being looked after, that local resources and local facilities are being taken over by refugees and they just kind of feel like they have enough of it and they're, they're just kind of being dumped in Ross Grey and nobody's kind of watching them or looking after them. All right, Ali, thanks very much thanks, indeed friend. for that. Thank you and good morning to you. We'll take a break. We're back with more tip today in just a moment.
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Just want to acknowledge that news that Councillor Michael Fitzgerald will not be seeking a nomination to contest the local elections uh, next year. Um, disappointing news. Uh, Michael has been a, a great public representative as far as I'm concerned and a real gentleman as well and always a pleasure to uh, deal with and of course he's, it seems like he's been there forever. I know he was first elected in, in 79. Now we did ask him to come on today uh, just in case you think we're ignoring this. We're not in the, in the least but uh, this is an emotional time for Michael as you can appreciate in a difficult time for him. It must have been a difficult decision I would imagine uh, as well but uh, I hope we'll be speaking to him possibly possibly next week on the show but I want to wish him and his family the very very best indeed 1800 938 007 now all primary schools in the country will have to survey parents to see if they want smartphones banned in primary schools um we spoke to some of our listeners on this and uh, Rachel shared some of her concerns with us and she joins me now Rachel good morning to you Hi, friend. Good morning. And you, you have two children, I think, Rachel. Is that right? I do. I've two boys, both in primary, friend. Right. So, how do you feel about? Well, first of all, how do you feel about smartphones in general for young kids? I mean, would you give them a, a smartphone, Rachel? Well, uh, one of my boys is aged nine, mm-hmm. so he has a phone. Mm-hmm. However, there's parental controls to control his access to uh, who he can call, who incoming calls can only be from specified contacts, mm-hmm. and in relation to the apps he uses and the times he uses it, and also age-appropriate. But so, there's one big, huge issue with this hmm. uh, about the phones and the school, friend. Most children get a phone for their confirmation, okay? Yes. Now, this is specifying a device, but every platform on a phone is available to the child, whether, and most little children have a tablet, or they use the laptop or the parent's phone for the app. So it's actually overlooked the, like we'll say, the the methods of communication on a smartphone, like WhatsApp, mm-hmm. you can actually get on a tablet or a laptop without a smartphone. So, so, it's, so it's not just the smartphone then that gives them access to, to everything and anything, I suppose, yeah. Rachel. Yeah. It, exactly. It's about doing it in a manner that's age-appropriate that everybody knows. But there's a key issue coming into this, Fran. A lot of our secondary schools are actually based on tablets Mm. or laptops. Yes. So how can our education system say, limit it in primary, and then you're suddenly going to overwhelm a child with the change from primary to secondary, different schools, different subjects, maybe commuting, and suddenly put the internet on top of them or the smartphone and say, now there you go. And they're at an age where 
uh, like how does a parent say, I need to check your phone Are you and speak to them about using it correctly? It's we need to change it in primary. We had like the kids I know at my son's school, they do a talk about internet safety every year. Mm. But when I talk to him and say, okay, tell me about apps, tell me about information, he'll answer me immediately about the internet, but he cannot answer me about what a platform is, the tablet, the laptop, the phone. And as well, in relation to the apps, oh yes, I don't give, on the internet, I don't give information or data. Mm. But that doesn't allow for the changes that are coming. Even Gates for Microsoft has said, look, I would expect apps are going to be obsolete. And in the future, if you want to do something, you'll do it at a remote website and that will wipe out apps. So is it actually incomplete, distorted information being given to our TDs and government. So, do, do I take it? Issue? Do I take it from you, Rachel, that you would go along with the notion of the youngsters, probably around the age of nine, having a phone if there was enough parental control over that, and if the parents had a knowledge about how this works and how to control it? Is that a summation of what you're saying to me? Partially, like they're too young. Like, there's no need for a child to have a phone in school in their hand. Mm-hmm. If if they, if a parent needs to be contacted, the school can contact them. If the child needs the parent, mm. do you know, or vice versa, the, the capability is there with the communication methods. The issue is, if you do not introduce a child to something that even adults are warned about, about the dangers of scams, mm. whether it's on the internet, the smartphone, communications with predators, people who aren't who they say they are. How do you actually just go from zero to 100 and expect a child to be able to use it at the start of secondary? Like, it, we've incomplete the source of data, and if we look at it like WhatsApp, you don't need a phone. For WhatsApp, it can be on a tablet or a laptop. Of course it can indeed. And what about yeah. your younger son? Will you give a phone to, to him at some point along the way? It, down the line when he has understanding. But at the minute, his tablet is also restricted. Mm. And it's restricted on what he's allowed access. Um, it, like different sites are designed for different ages. He's four. He's not allowed the age five group and he won't get that until I see that he's capable for it. So he might reach yeah. five years of age, but I have to turn around and say, okay, is he ready for that content? And you have to remember, uh, like when parents put on a television or let their children use television, whether it's Netflix, Sky, whatever it yeah. is, you have a set program and it tells you the content, um, viewers, please be aware, do you know, such a topic or issue mm, could come yes. up. But if your child is on a tablet, how do you know what they're press next? Right. Well, you, 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 don't. You, you don't, of course. You exactly. don't, indeed. Rachel, that's a really interesting take on things, and thank you very much indeed for speaking to us today. That's Rachel, who is a mum 
of two there. Very interesting. Let's go to Joanna's now. Good morning to you, Joanne. Good morning, Fran. And uh, good to talk to you today. What about you, Joanne? How are you feeling about this? Because you, you work with children, I think, do you? Yes, I'm a child-minded to three children, um, the youngest being 10, um, and they all have smartphones. Um, but m- personally, myself, I don't actually agree with it. Um, I think primary school children, their minds are still undeveloped um, and giving them access to all of this. And I know there are the parental controls, but actually nowadays children are, um, they have a deeper understanding of how to get around things like that than we have through all the YouTube videos, you know, TikTok, anything like that, that actually they can outdo us on their understanding of technology and how to get around parental controls or how to access something without setting off a parental control. Yeah, because I see even the speed that they're able to to text, and I mean, it's just absolutely incredible at such a, a young age. What are the big dangers as far as you're concerned and from what you see, Joanne? Um, I think there there are many dangers. Obviously, there's the, the predators that are out there that yeah. are pretending they are the same age that, as them. And a lot of children nowadays think that they also know everything and that anybody who does contact them on it um, is who they say they are. That you know, oh, this is my friend. It's not. It's not somebody who's older. It's not somebody who's trying to do something mm-hmm. to me. And no matter how many times you tell them, they're not going to believe you because they believe they know better. But also, there's you know, I think primary school children, their minds are undeveloped. They're still learning. They're still learning about themselves, learning to make their opinions. And anything they see online, they take it as fact. You know, they all the mm-hmm. false information. You know. Uh, even, uh, you know, the whole cancel culture or anything like that, that uh, their minds are undeveloped. They're not getting a chance to think for themselves. They're just taking in all this information. And from what you've seen, I mean, are there parents who are using parental control over these phones and using these various apps that will control what they can and can't see? Is, Is that something you've come across or is it a case that they have free access? Um, I've come across both. I've come across where there are parental controls and I've come across where there is free access to everything on the phone. Um, And, you know, it could be on the phone, it could be on a smart TV, it could be on an iPad, you know, it could be on... Fridges have iPads built into them now. So the access has to be restricted everywhere. Um, And I can understand that, you know, some parents would want children to have their phones in case they need to contact them. There's nothing wrong with buying a basic phone that has no internet access. If that's, you know, if that's the reason for it, like a phone at the end of the day, it's for calling. But you you know better than I do from working with with youngsters, Joanne, that Mm -hmm. they'll they'll say, oh, Mary and Johnny, they have the latest smartphone. And here am I looking like a thick with the, you know, some basic phone or something. And that peer pressure is is huge here, is it not? Peer pressure is huge. Um, Absolutely. But I know, I think kids also need to know that you're not going to get everything in life. You're not also, you know, you're not always going to get the best phone or, you know, just get it because you say you want it, you know, mm. that it has to be earned and trust has to be established too for something like that, I think. Yeah, like, um, like, I think, like Rachel there, you mentioned the tablets and the, the laptops and everything. The, the genie is very much out of the bottle, though, where, where technology is. is concerned, isn't it? It is, yeah, it is very much so. Um, it, it's there... Uh, you know, they, they use it for everything. I've seen children using it to, you know, cheat on their homework, you know, to 
translating serious? for them and you know things like that you know where it can be used as, as a tool for education it can also be used to oh, i don't want to do my irish or my french or whatever i'm just going to google translate it and at least i can answer it then God, you know being a teacher so now must be such a nightmare a nightmare <laughs> i isn't it? say so you know mm. and then obviously the big concern is cyberbullying so you yes. have the likes of Snapchat and everything, and that can only be accessed on a phone. Um, I think there's one web browser that you can access it through from a tablet or a computer, but you you have to have had it um, downloaded on your phone in order to have the account. And through Snapchat, again, um, if if it's public or if it's private, you, you're adding people, you don't know who these people are, and then you're opening yourself to cyberbullying. You know, um, I, I have seen... Um, I've I've heard of and I know people who have been bullied desperately on the likes of my chat young children, um, the things that have been said to them, and, uh, and, and by people come, who hide behind it. Does that come from their peers, or it, yes. yeah, it, and, yeah? And it works. They they can do that, and uh, forgive my ignorance on this, Joy, but they yeah. can do this uh, anonymously, can they? They can, yeah, because you set up a Snapchat account. Um, it can be under a username, it can be under a false name, anything like that. Um, you can have groups on Snapchat. So there can be group chats and you're not knowing really who's on it. Um, again, it's just a name, it's just a, a, a little uh, avatar picture. And the things that um, can be said on it are just, you know, you're given an access then to young children, it, it, you know, for other people to come in and to say things to them or to negatively influence them or anything like that, you know? Yeah, the, the whole body image thing then as well is, you know, these unrealistic sort of images that are seen on the on the screen and kids will try and copy that, emulate that, you know? Yes, yeah. Uh... Yeah, and it can, you know, um, I think then also uh, when you have a mobile phone in your hand as opposed to an Xbox, a tablet, something like that. They're bringing it into their bedroom. So yeah. that's the most private place. You know, it's coming into your bedroom. When do you put it down at night? When do you go to sleep? You know, it's, yeah. it's you're readily accessing it. And children don't have the discipline to put it down. And what do you make of Minister Foley's new plan then encouraging parents to avoid buying the smartphones for their kids in, in, in primary school, Joanne. What, what do you make of that? Is, would would that idea. be effective, do you think? I don't know. Will it be effective? I think it's a good idea. I think it's something that parents need to consider. And by, you know, by Minister Foley coming out and saying this, mm. that it maybe gives them a pause to, to think about it, you know, uh, what the requirement really is with it. And maybe that if, parents, you know, talk to other parents and kind of say, listen, I'm not going to get my child a phone until mm. they're, you know, they're in sixth class or whatever, you know, after that they can buy one with their confirmation money, which I think is a good idea because they have to spend their money on it. They have to take care of it then. And it's their responsibility. So you're involving them in it. Yeah, I know that Aidan O'Reardon from the Labour Party, Joanne, said the guidelines weren't worth the paper they're written on and that it was a joke that the Minister was introducing this uh, at a time when, you know, there's more important issues like teacher shortages and the like. But I, th I think this is a very important issue, you know. I do, I do. I, I do think it is an important issue. I think it's worth talking about um, and parents discussing it with their children. You know, if they want to involve children, their children and mm. they want to explain what's going on and why they don't want to give them a smartphone, yes. 
you know? So even if it kicks off a conversation, you're saying this yeah. has, to, has to be a good thing. All right, Joanne, it, it does. lovely to talk to you today and we appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. No bother, Thank thanks. you, bye-bye to you. Um, 083 311 Welcome to the Tip FM High Digital Online Skills Tips, brought to you by Vodafone Ireland Foundation and alone. High Digital is an online skills course designed with older people in mind. Today, we're giving you tips on how to use email. You can use email to send a message to anywhere in the world. An email account is important for many things, such as online banking and shopping. You can set up an email account free of charge on websites such as gmail.com or yahoo.com. You always need a username and password to create an email account. When choosing a password, please follow these tips. 1. Use at least 8 characters, a mixture of small letters, capital letters, numbers and sometimes special characters such as a dollar or pound sign. 2. Don't use information that would be easy to guess, such as your birthday, hobby or someone's name. For a more in-depth tutorial on this and many other lessons, log on to highdigital.ie or call 1-800-203030 for more information. Brought to you by Vodafone Ireland Foundation and alone. And uh, Shay's telling you there, we've teamed up uh, this week with Vodafone who are promoting that high digital uh, initiative. As Shay said, it's an online skills training programme for older people uh, over the age of 65, that is, developed by Vodafone Ireland Foundation in partnership indeed with Alone. And the training is available online or indeed via in-person classes. So a lot of options there. And if you want to go to High Digital, and that is uh, all lowercase, highdigital.ie or call 1800 20 30 30. You'll get some more information there. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie uh, One of our listeners was in touch about the state of Tipperary's public transport and she joins me now. Tara, good morning to you. Hello, Tara. Hello, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, and nice to talk to you this morning. You describe it as being a joke, Tipperary's public transport. Why so because, oh, Tara? Uh, because it, it's never on time. You wouldn't want to be uh, waiting on it to get to an appointment, appointment or anything like that because you won't, you won't get there. Have you, you had have recent experience of this, Tara? Yes. Uh, recently, I was going to an appointment in Waterford and I was waiting on the bus to double check the timetable there was five other people at the bus stop with me all waiting on the same bus the 10 to 9 bus in the morning and no bus turned up until 11 o'clock that morning and wh- why was that the case did you get a, an excuse Don't or know, a reason the, no you you will not get any type of apology or an excuse or reason off of any of the bus drivers that pass through Clamel, um, going either to Waterford or Limerick. Now, it's different if you're going to Cork mm. or if you're in Waterford going on somewhere else. It's a totally different public transport system altogether. Even going from Clamel to Dungarvan, the new bus is even better than... Right. The so, old one. so it's the Waterford run, as far as you're concerned. And is that a trek... The Waterford to Limerick bus. It's the same bus. Right. And uh, do you use that bus on a regular basis? I use that bus weekly. Right. 
And, and are there issues with it quite often? Oh, yes. There, that bus is never on time. And if you... If you're, it, there's a difference. If you were getting the bus from M&S going to Kilkenny, mm. that bus leaves on the dot on the hour. It does not go beforehand or afterwards. It'll leave at 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to get a bus from the bus station and you get there a quarter to 10, saying, oh, I've got 10 minutes left, I'm here early, does not matter because you don't know whether that bus is already gone. Because if they turn up early, they'll just keep driving. They will not wait until the allotted time that the bus is meant to leave. Whereas the JJ Kavanagh bus will, but the 55 bus will not. It will drive right past you. And and is that a case that they look and have a look to see, you know, whether or not there's passengers there? Um, is, is, is well, that... no, because it's, it does pull up in... Um, in the, the, the bus station here. Now, I was on the bus coming home the other day from that when it was late. Mm. And fair enough, I got the, the 5 o'clock bus. So we were due into Clamel at 6. Mm. Now, we got to Clamel about 20 to 6. We got there pretty early. We, You know, there wasn't much traffic on the way. Mm. But that bus was, say, 20 minutes early. That bus did not wait to see if anybody else was turning up for the 6 o'clock bus. It kept going. So, it so if anybody on. was relying on the six o'clock bus, it's gone. And so Tara, can I ask you, when you use the bus to get to Limerick, or indeed whether you use the bus to get to Waterford as well, are, are you talking about appointments that you're trying to make, or or why? Yeah, trying to get hospital appointments because you, if you're going to Waterford Hospital, you need to get two buses. So you can't have an appointment in the morning because it's not physically possible to do it. The same if you're going to a hospital in Cork or Dublin. And, and what yeah, you, tell me about the two buses where Waterford is. So you've one to the city and then one to the hospital. Is that the way yes. it works? Yes. And then yeah. you, it's the same in Cork. Yes. Um, if I was to go to Cork by bus, it's the same. If I was to go to Cork by train to have access to toilet facilities, then it's two trains and a bus. Because there's no access to toilet facilities anywhere here in Clamel. So if you get on the bus from Waterford, you have to wait till you get to Limerick before you could use the bathroom. And what about the option of the train, Tara? Have you looked at the that? The train, yes. There, there's only one train that goes towards Limerick at half eight in the morning. And then there's another train that goes to Waterford at half ten in the morning. But if you have any appointments before that, there's no point using the train. So you might as well go down the night before. So you'd have to book into a hotel or somewhere. And the, the discrimination that um, the public transport toll, you know, if you have um, a public, oh, what's it called, a travel card, sorry. Mm, yes. I'm thinking of it. Mm. The, the discrimination I get off the bus drivers for having that pass is actually, it's mortifying because he, some of the bus drivers will say, oh, here we go again. What oh, big, there's another one. What, that you're getting it for free? Is that it? That there's some yeah, sort of Yeah, so I got on there. the bus there, I think, in August. But you're, it's your entitlement if you have your car. Oh, I know, but it, it's actually, it takes so long to try get the public service card. It's not easy to get yes. the, the, the free travel card. But when I got on the bus in August, they were training another driver. Hmm. And the, the main driver started tutting, going, oh, 
here we go again, another freeloader. Well, he did. And I'm now, sure he didn't say he, that. He did. He, did but... he did right to my face in yeah. front of everybody on the bus and the person he was training. Now, this actually happened to another lady I know yesterday. Only what? yesterday, coming on the same bus from Paragon Tour to Clamell. But what about what about just the notion of public transport in general, Tara? Because it's a joke. I mean, let, let, let's talk about that because we're all encouraged to use public transport. So, um, you know, are you saying to me that it's just not practical for no, in, in many ways? No, it's not practical. Definitely mm. not practical. And I, I don't know how they're going to fix it. Or do it's just... I dread it now. Before, mm. the kids used to love going off on the bus or the train and they, we'd make a day out of it. Yeah. But now, if you, you just dread it because you don't know what type of bus driver you're going to get. Mm. That's even if the bus turns up Mm. and then there's another incident where I was on the bus and the bus broke down mm. and we were left at the side of the road for two and a half hours um, for another bus to, to turn up because they didn't want to send out a bus because there was another one coming up from Waterford two hours later that we could wait for. So you had a wait of two and a half hours. For, for, we waited for, for... two and a half hours on the side of the road in Palace Green. So it wouldn't entice anybody to use a public no. transport. So it's and, it's something that needs to be most addressed. Definitely, even people with disabilities, how they use public transport. Anybody with mobility disabilities, mm. I, I don't know because it, it's difficult it, for them. It, it'd be very difficult, and I'd say that's why an awful lot of uh, people with different abilities and stuff just don't because it's not feasible. Can I can I bring you into our other conversation, Tara, if I could? Because okay. uh, we're we're talking about uh, smartphones this morning as well, and giving them to to children. You're a mum. I'd love uh, your opinion on this. How do you feel about it? Um, I, to me, it depends on the age. Yeah. <clears throat> now, in my house, our four kids did not get a phone until they turned eleven. That was it. And that was None that was mind. very deliberate. And do you mind my asking where you plagued? Up, to, up until that from them to, to get a phone? Uh, no, because they had the switch or they had their, you know, their handheld gaming systems where they were able to access YouTube anyway because that's yes. what my kids would use it for, watching videos on YouTube. Yeah. So there is other ways of doing that with actually without them having a phone. Mm. So we just said, look, until they were old enough to even need it, to be going places where I'd be contacting them, but they didn't need it before that. So, but uh, three of my kids are eleven, and one of them was thirteen, because she hmm. just didn't get the concept of the whole phone. She just, even to this day, she's eighteen, and she still doesn't text or call people. Does she not? She Does just she? uses it for YouTube. Yeah, well, good, good for her. And um, and this notion then that the minister is trying to put forward that uh, you know parents should avoid buying smartphones for, for children in primary schools at that age. You, you'd go along with that then, I presume, would you? Yeah, but that's only because I know the kids have other devices. There's iPads, there's the Switch, there's the Nintendo Wii. You know, there's, there is other things that they could have instead of an actual phone. Mm. You, can even, you can even access the internet now through um, the PlayStation or stuff mm. like that. So it, it just depends on 
that's, that's very moment. interesting and that's emerging from our discussions uh, this morning big time Tara that you know okay they mightn't have the smartphones but they have other ways to access oh, yeah, they do. the internet yeah. and to access apps and, and that kind of thing uh, yeah, they do uh, so they wouldn't need a phone mm. like because I said at the back of the uh, back in the day because my, my oldest stepdaughter is 23 now so she was like oh everybody has a phone and I was like so you don't need a phone. You want a phone. There's a big difference. Yeah. So, and I just said, look, can you contact your friends? There was this little messaging app on um, Nintendo DS a few years ago, and they could contact their friends through that. So right. I kind of put her, <laughs> kind of put her opinion mute, and I was kind of like, well, you can still contact them. Like, you don't need a phone. Of course, yeah, so, but I, I presume unsavoury characters could use that sort of access to your child as well through through gaming and the that, like. That can, unfortunately, in this day and age, Fran, that can be done through anything. Through anything, yeah. Anything that has access to the internet, whether it is a phone or an iPad or anything, if and, they want access, it, they will. And you try and keep up with all of this, Tara, too? Yes, my, my kids are actually connected to my um, email address. yeah. yeah. So anything they look up on their phones comes up on my search history. Right. right. So that's how I know because they don't have their own email address. It's connected to mine. So anytime they set up like Snapchat or Instagram, my son has, that's actually linked to me. Right. So, so and, and you're careful about that and you, you, you want to have access. Yeah, because they're not allowed to add anybody that they don't actually know. If you get me, yes, I, I yeah. just don't want them adding this game or that game or because they think they're cool. Because as I was trying to explain to them, that there's an awful lot of fake accounts out there. Of course. So of course. they could think they're talking to Jack Septicai, which is a gamer, and it could be this total random stranger. So. And that's that's the frightening part, isn't it? You know, Tara, it, it lovely, sure lovely to talk to you and uh, look after yourself. And thanks for coming you on too, with us. Thank, Thank you. Bye bye to you now. Bye bye. That's uh, Tara uh, speaking to us today on a number of issues there, including public transport and, of course, the topic of the morning so far. Uh, the smartphones. We're still getting huge reaction into uh, Ali's piece with me at the top of the program about. Uh, difficulties in Ross Grey, anti-social behaviour as well and uh, the like. And thank you for that. Um, 083-311-3311. News is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Thanks, Pat. Welcome uh, back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 Now, the Tipperary Business Awards, hosted by the County Tipperary Chamber of Commerce will take place at the Abbey Court Hotel in Nina on Friday, November 24th. I spoke to the CEO of the Chamber, Michelle Aylward, uh, yesterday and began by asking her how the preparations were going. Yes, Fran, uh, very busy at the moment. It is. It's non-stop uh, from arranging things like the running order of the event, uh, the ticket sales, 
um, our guest list and um, I suppose making sure that everything is is in shape on the night. Yeah, are, is there still room if people want to come along on uh, the night, uh, Michelle, or how are you fixed where that's concerned? Yeah, there is. Uh, we've moved the awards, as you know, this year to the Abbey Court Hotel, so we have a larger capacity in the ballroom this year. So there is, as I think up to the other day, we still had a, a handful of tickets left over. We wouldn't like to see anybody short, so if anybody is stuck for tickets, certainly get in touch with us and we'll accommodate them. Can you give us some more information about the night? Because uh, last time around you were rather coy with me about some of what's <laughs> happening. Uh, what more can you tell us? Indeed, uh, I probably can't tell you a whole lot more, <laughs> I suppose, but um, our presidential award, as you know, has always been top secret, uh, which will be revealed on the night by our president, Paul Bergen. Um, but I am delighted to say that we have a number of different guests that are going to be attending from the Cahirlock. Uh We have Minister Simon Coveney, who's going to speak, uh, which we're really looking forward to having him on board on the night. And we also have a Hollywood star coming to Nina also. So Patrick Bergen is going to be joining us wow. on the night. So anybody that is a fan of his or follows him uh, and wants to come along will definitely have an opportunity to get a picture with him on the night. That's that's for sure. So if you're a fan of sleeping with the enemy and that he doesn't <laughs> scare the wits out of you, you can meet him uh, on the night. But he's a hell of a nice fellow as well because I've met him a few times. He's, he's a decent guy. Indeed. And, and yeah. he's put a lot of work into, uh, into Tipperary and uh, I know he's kind of settled here, him and his wife at the moment. So he's really looking forward to meeting, I suppose, the entrepreneurial side mm. of Tipperary. Yeah, a lot of people delighted about this year's opportunity because you are, as you say, in North Tipperary and it's great for businesses in that area as well, isn't it? Yes, uh, that's correct, Fran, because it's a large county that we have here, yeah. as I would have said to you before, and sometimes that imaginary line gets in the way of yeah. business. So for a number of years we would have held the business awards within Tipperary uh, in Clonmel. So this year when we went out to tender, we said it's only fair because we have huge amounts of large employers, entrepreneurials, and people that are in the north of Tipperary. So it was only fair that we did move it. So we are really looking forward to that up there. And just for clarity on this, Michelle, if people want to get tickets, how, how can they go about that? Yes, tickets are still available. We have a small number of them on our website. So if you go on to countytipperarychamber.com and go into the business ward section and you'll be able to purchase them from there. Now, there's no doubt whatsoever that this is hugely helpful to businesses particularly the businesses that are successful at uh, the awards. And you have somebody that you're going to introduce me to. And uh, will you tell me about this gentleman? I will, indeed. So we are delighted to have with us here today one of our chamber members, uh, which is John from Sap Nurseries. Um, Sap Nurseries would have entered the Business Awards with us last year uh, into one of our categories. Uh, he didn't take much uh, course to get him to enter the awards, but I'm sure he's delighted. Uh, he won one of our awards and he's here with us today to tell us the experience of the awards and what it meant for him and the transformation of what it does to his business. And I think it's also as well to kind of give us an insight into the pride of winning one of these County Tipperary Chamber Awards. And John Walsh is uh, with me now. Uh, John, we all know uh, SAP Nurseries, of course, as, as it is, but, I mean, you've, you've had a rebrand recently. Uh, we have, Fran. We rebranded in the last month. Uh, we're now known as Perennia, uh, formerly known as SAP Nurseries. Um, it's been something that's been in the pipeline for the last couple of years, so it went live just uh, at the start of October. So all going well at the moment, thank God. Well, delighted to hear it. And just to give people an idea about 
uh, how extensive the business is, because you were telling me this off air, John. I didn't realize it, even though, of course, I've been in SAP nurseries lots of times. How, how extensive is the business? Um, yeah, it's a big operation, Fran. Um, at the moment, we have 28 full-time staff, which raises to over 50 during the, during the summer months. Um, it's over uh, 50 acres just on the Care at Finan Road. Um, our main business is the production of plants, trees um, and hedging. Um, we deal with all the councils around the country. We deal with garden centres both in Ireland and in the UK. And what we specialise in is something known as contract growing, which is uh, growing all the plants, trees and hedging for some of the big retail businesses in Ireland. Um, how this works is they give us their orders maybe nine months in advance um, we get the plants, uh, pot them on and have them ready for a certain date on the following year and they go into the shops on that date that the, that the, that the customer wants them. And is it a case that you're looking out the window at weather all of the time? I mean, is, is yeah. weather extremely important to watch? Weather into? is extremely important to us, yes. Yeah. So obviously during the summer months people want to be out in the garden if, when the weather is good. Um, also, the whole thing with you know, importing and exporting is obviously yeah. uh, heavily dependent on the weather. You could be waiting for stuff to come in and obviously you might get a storm, which obviously affects the things coming in. Um, and then externally, if you're, if you're exporting, it's the same, same scenario. Um, but we just, we just get stuck in, just roll up the sleeves out in the nursery and no matter what the weather is out there, we... Off you go. Off you go. You're in there every morning yeah. and, you're, and you leave every evening. What so. about expanding for the future? What are you looking at for the future? Um, actually, at the moment, we only started last week, we are building a 5,000 square metre polytunnel. So it's actually a um, 14-span tunnel. It's over an acre in size. So to put that into context, it's, it's two hurling pitches. Um, so that's been built at the moment. Um, this will give great opportunity to, to obviously grow more plants, grow more trees, um, more space in the nursery as well, and it will lead to more local employment as well, which is very, very vital to us as a business. Tell me about your dad. You lost your dad six months ago, and, of course, he, he was the man who He was the man, yeah, this, Tom, he? yeah. Yeah, he was, he was. Uh, we lost dad this day six months ago, the 8th of May. Um, he very, very sadly passed away. He's only 79. Um, so he founded the whole business uh, SAP Nurseries itself are celebrating its 50-year anniversary just this year, um, 1973. They started trading, so it's a, a bittersweet year. Um, he was an unbelievable character. Um, started off with a shovel and a wheelbarrow and went on to employ north of 500 staff at the, at the height of the, wow. the boom times. Yeah, yeah, so he's sadly missed both by the family, by the staff out in, out in Prenia and um, I think by the whole horticultural industry as a whole around the country. It's amazing the way uh, fashions have changed uh, over the years. I, I think there's much more of an appreciation of gardening, horticulture, all of that kind of thing in recent years. Is that fair to say, John? Uh, 100%, 100%, yeah. Fran. Um, you know, I think social media, believe it or not, has had a huge, huge effect on horticulture because everyone seems to want the, the nicest garden in the parish and everyone puts it up on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot and you look at celebrities now, they're, they're mad into, into their gardening. Um, Peter Mann, he's a good example, the Irish rugby player, he, he loves it, he's He's always posting his, his pictures of the garden up on Instagram. Um, but even during COVID, obviously, people couldn't go abroad. So the bit of money that people had, they decided to spend it on their garden and doing up the garden. So, um, And you walk into the big retail supermarkets at the moment and there's plants and trees everywhere. So, yeah, that's the, that's the way it's trending at the moment. So long way to continue, please, God. Uh, and it's great to see it as well. To get back to the business awards, then yeah. you were a recipient, of course. Uh, what does that mean to you, John? Um, oh, it was an exceptionally proud moment for, for, the, for the business. Um, I think it was, it was a real indication of the hard work that our staff do. Um, the, the staff in the nursery are, are unbelievable. As we, as we discussed earlier on, they're there morning, noon and night, no matter what the weather. Um, 
But just to, you know, to be recognised by your peers as well, we won the, the agribusiness of the year last year in the, in the Manella, so it was, a, it was a real, real proud night. Um, but even to give awareness as well to the people of Tipperary, not just our business, but the, the amount of business and the amount of enterprise in Tipperary is absolutely phenomenal. Um, everywhere you look now, there's new businesses opening up, even around Caird, Clonmel, Finan. So it's great, for, it's great for local employment. Um, just in general, it's, it's really, really good for the county. Well, congratulations to you on all the success, John. Great to see you. Thank today. you, friend. Thanks. No problem at all. Thank you. Indeed. Cheers. Michelle, it's great to hear a success story like that. And, of course, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It really is. Mm. It, it's phenomenal just to hear their story, isn't it? And yeah. you would listen to it, I think, Wouldn't all day. Wouldn't you just, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think there has to be a book in the nursery, <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Um, tell me about other things that you have in mind and other events coming up, Michelle. Definitely. So I suppose they, with the business awards and everything like that, everyone thinks that that's all we do. Um, but unfortunately, it's not. So we have a number of different events that are going to be planned. Uh, so we're moving up to the north of Tipperary, where we're going to be up in Temple Moor and Ross Grey. And we're bringing what we call a roadshow to these areas. So on the 16th of November, we will be in the Racket Hall in Ross Grey from 1 to 2 p.m. So we're encouraging all business people or entrepreneurs that are in the area to pop in. You don't need to be a member of the chamber. Find out a little bit about what we do and the different services that we can offer to people um, and answer any questions that anyone might have. The other one then that we're doing then, which will be in Templemore, which is on the 7th of December. Again, it's going to be the same. It's for an hour. It's on in the Templemore uh, Arms Hotel. Pop in, find out a little bit more about the chamber and how we can benefit your business or what supports and services will be available. So we do a lot of those kind of tours around the county, Fran, but we're also doing this year for the first time, and I think we're the only chamber to do it, which is to celebrate International Men's Day. Uh, we've Rightly cele- so. Rightly so. <laughs> I think I'm outnumbered here. But we celebrate International Women's Day every year, and it's been a huge success for us. So this year we've been asked by a number of our members to put it on. So International Men's Day is on the 17th of November, and we have recruited a comedian, which is Joe Rooney. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of you will be familiar with him, <laughs> indeed. And we're in the Talbot Hotel from 2pm, where he's just going to, I suppose, have a chat with, with uh, the, the men of Tipperary about mental health, about day-to-day living. But it's an opportunity as well, I suppose, to employers to allow the, that workforce to come along. So if anyone is interested in doing that, again, log on to our website and tickets are available on the Chamber website. Not forgetting the female as as well, uh, we also do a number of um, online webinars. So this year we are investing in the menopause because it's it's a very big topic and especially within the workforce. So we have the fabulous pharmacist uh, who is a a great influencer on Instagram who's going to be joining us as well. And that's free of charge. So anyone that is interested in that or if you have any staff uh, members, please log on to our website and tune into those events. And and those are just kind of a, a slight insight in terms of networking events um, that are available between now and the end of the year. And for businesses out there who are not involved with Chamber, I know you would urge that they get involved, Michelle. Definitely. Uh, as I said, look, there's lots of uh, resources that are available yeah. to people and supports, and especially around the training elements that businesses in Tipperary are not available. So certainly pick up the phone or drop us an email. Uh, we'll have a cup of coffee and we will certainly guide them in the right direction. And of course, we always welcome membership because that's what we survive our business on, which is the membership which we're hoping to, to, to grow throughout Tipperary. But in the meantime, the biggie on the calendar has to be the 24th. 
in the Abbey Court in Nina. Indeed, that is the the night of the the night of the year. I suppose it is the largest networking event of the year, and we have a lot of members that will only come to this event. So we like to kind of say the who's who will be in the room on the night. So if you want to get your business out there or make connections, the twenty fourth of November in Nina is the place to be. That's the CEO of Tipperary Chamber, Michelle Aylward, uh, and I was chatting to her yesterday. All right, it is time for this. Tip FM's Match 3 game. Tip FM's Match 3 game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and expert electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. And John Walsh is in Clonmel. Good morning to you, John. Hello, how are you? How are you more importantly? Are you well, John? Grand, grand, grand. Good, good indeed. And you're going to have a go at our match three. You know the story at this stage, I'm sure. I can't deal with them. I beg your pardon? I'm talking to somebody else. Oh, you're talking <laughs> to somebody. All right, okay. Well, chat away among yourself there. No problem. Uh, no, no. 90 squares, John, 30 hidden prizes. Match up three squares on the board and you will win uh, the prize. So all you have to do to begin is pick a box for me between one and 90. 22. Let's have a look in box number 22. 22, it's a nice prize. It's a Bose Sound Touch Mini Bluetooth speaker. It's valued at €124. Euro, so it's a nice prize. So pick another one and try your best to match it for me, John. Uh, I just didn't get that. Just say that to me again, John. 56. 56. Let's have a look in box 56 and see what we have there. Oh, you're doing very well indeed. You have a match so far. So that's uh, the Bose Sound Touch Mini Bluetooth speaker. So you know the story. You have to match the third one to win the prize. So have you got a number for me, John? 31. Let's have a look at 31. And let's open that box. John, do you know what? Uh, we have a winner. We have a oh, winner, John. Well done, lovely. you. Thanks. Well done, you. It's a lovely prize indeed. The Bose yeah. Sound Touch Bluetooth uh, speaker to the value of €144. Euro. It's a nice oh, prize in- indeed. Well, well done, you. Uh, yeah. Do you want to say hello to somebody as you're on, John? I'll just say hello to the wife here and say, Noreen. All right. What's, what's her name, John? Noreen. All right. Well, hello to Noreen as well. Great to talk to you and well done to you. Thanks, John. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Bye-bye. John Walsh in Clonmel there. A winner on our match three. And uh, many, many more people, of course, will get an opportunity right uh, throughout the day here because uh, Stephen will have match three for us and uh, Owen right through the afternoon. And, of course, Carol as well. Tip FM's match three game. Unwrap an early Christmas present from Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Shop online at stakelums.ie. Match three, win the prize. Tip FM. Match three, win the prize. Well done to John Walsh there. All right, let us continue on our conversation about the smartphones. And Siobhan joins me now. Good morning to you, Siobhan. Good morning, Fran. How are you? Good to talk to you today. You have an interesting take on this. You think that parents shouldn't even need to be told this, Siobhan. Yes, I mean, I don't think it's up to teachers and schools to implement this kind of thing. The... A parent's 
how would you say, should know that it's not good for a child. It's allowing, it's taking away their innocence. Once you give a smartphone to a child, they have access to so many things that a child that wouldn't have it, the smartphone, it should be, it should be the parents. If it was my child, I wouldn't want them to have a phone until they were in secondary school where they were getting buses home from school. They might need a lift, mm. but it would be my number that would be in it, their father's number, maybe a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle. Um, but it would need, to, and even at early, before junior start, I would say then it needs to be controlled that parents know what the kids are looking at. Yeah, I, th- I, think you're, I think you're, be, you're making a very interesting point indeed. And because should there be a need for the government to interfere with this in some way? You're, you're thinking not that, you know, parenting... It should be common should, sense yeah. and cop on. Yeah. yeah. Like, you wouldn't leave the dog out to roam on the road with God knows who. Yeah. And you've got your innocent child sitting at home with access to, if there's a bully in school, the bully comes home with you. Yeah. He's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's, a, there's, it's too much information for kids. What were you going to say about a restaurant before I interrupted you? Oh, sorry. No, yeah. um, you, you see in a lot of restaurants, parents will give either the kid as maybe three, four years of age has a tablet and it's watching everything mm. on this tablet and it's so that mummy and daddy can sit and have a nice meal in peace. Or they'll give them their own phone and the kids will play along with that. I think a book, a co- years ago in restaurants, there was colouring little mats with crayons and yeah. stuff like that. And I even know I had my nephew in Kilishi House last year at Christmas, and he's 12. And he was handed out a puzzle book and thing like that. Lovely idea. Lovely idea. Lovely yeah. idea. Yeah. And... He didn't complain, like, he didn't say, well, can I have a phone or Mm. can I have anything else? Because his parents really would have had instilled in him reading growing up and stuff like that. Um, If they wanted him to go into the sitting room, maybe take your book with you. Well, that's the best gift you can give a kid. If you you start them off reading, I firmly uh, believe this, Siobhan, it's the greatest gift you can... It's the best education, as well, as far as I'm concerned. It is, and it's a great life pursuit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the amount of information a child will absorb from a book rather than a flicking screen yes. is, I think, something that will stay with them for life. Do you have worries I, about the extensive use of smart devices in, in general for the future, Siobhan? Do you have concerns about it? I do. We see even adults sitting in places. There's no conversation. It's tap, tap, tap into a phone or two heads are looking into a phone, and there's no conversation. Like, you kind of wonder, if the Wi-Fi is cut off, the whole thing, there's uproar. From kids and adults. Like, the worst thing that could happen in a lot of houses is no Wi-Fi. But you can still watch TV. You can still turn on the lamp, as I say, read. There are so many other options there that this, I think, putting a device into the hands of a child that young it's preparing them for a life like that. But I think you're there right. We, we, we have to look. Skills. We have to look at all of our uh, behaviours on 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 the phones, Siobhan. I know that I had. You know the way the phone can tell you how long you're sort of viewing it. 
And yes, I, your screen time. I, I was like scared recently. No, I have a bit of an excuse in that I use it for newspapers and I use it as well for, for various different uh, platforms for to inform me for the show. But even yeah. still, hours and hours and hours on this thing every day, you know? Yeah, it's, it is scary. When you look at your screen time and you take, you say, wow, okay, I might have been checking the bank for work. I might have been checking mm. some work emails. Mm. But really, that is also something that needs to kind of stop. I find even at home, we, myself and my husband, we worked together mm. and I could pick up the phone and read an email and I'd be like, did you see that? Did you see that? Mm. And he's kind of saying to me, leave it till morning. Mm. Mm. We'll be back in the office in the morning. Yeah, we'll but, deal with it then. But the but temptation is to deal with it outside life. of... T- yeah, but you see, that's the problem. It is interfering with all of our, our downtime, isn't it? Yes, definitely. And as adults, we can see that. Mm. But I know that I didn't have a mobile phone until I was probably 16 or 17. Now, I would be heading towards 50. Mm. So um, times were different, and the mobile phones were the size of small blocks. I remember, yes. (laughs) But, um, like, even our parents didn't have mobile phones, I don't think, until we were 10, 11. So they definitely weren't. And there was a simple Nokia 5110 where... The worst you could do was play a game of Tetris or something like that. Or, or you did a snake. Your hands on or it. snake. Do you remember snake? snake? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the height of it. Like you didn't have mm-hmm. access to sexual content, violence. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's way too much out there now. And I mean, a child from four till twelve needs to grow into themselves, develop their interests, hurling, football, sport, whatever it may be. They don't need to be sitting with devices in their hands. And what did you mean, Siobhan, when you also said that they have much too much access to all sorts of stuff that they don't need? So are you talking about outside of the smartphones and the the, the, the tablets and the laptops? Are, like, Is there a lot of stuff that you figure they don't need? In- I think there's video games. Like, there's a yeah. lot of stuff. Like, There's very violent content in a lot of those video games, Minecraft, that kind of thing. Yeah. And... Kids as young as seven, eight, nine, ten are going along playing that game. You can see them wearing their little sweatshirts with Minecraft all over it. So these kids are not just picking that out of nowhere. They know what that is. Grand Mm. Theft Auto was another one that I thought was horrific for children. Now, there, um, there is an 18 um, age limit on that, isn't there? But, but you see, yes, is that being adhered to? I haven't to, seen yeah. parents adhere to that at all. Yeah. Um, it's like the cinema years ago, you couldn't get in if you, for an 18 movie if you were 15. or The 15, you couldn't get into the PG. The PG wouldn't let you into a 15 movie. Yes. But there's nobody sticking to that anymore. Yeah, and, and the outcome of that then, Siobhan, is, is going to be what, do you think? I think, personally, I think the outcome of that is kids think what they're watching, what they're doing is the norm. They, a lot, like, we're looking at, we had done a Davern on yesterday talking about the the issues in cash. Yes. Um, I do think it's resulting in antisocial behaviour coming down the line, if you are 10, 12 and you think you've seen this and it's fine and there's nobody saying anything about it, I'm not saying it happens in all cases, mm. but I do think you unless think... parents take responsibility for what their children are doing, they're going to find it harder to control them and keep and, and, and does it normalise? 
does it normalise violence then, for example? I or? think so. Yeah. Yes, I do. I think so. Um, definitely. Like, yeah. if you're looking at that and that's the impression you're getting from a young age that this is this is okay, like, this is what everyone else is doing. They don't understand then, no. They don't understand, no, that's not correct. That's not how you behave. Um, I, I do think it's all part of why we have so much antisocial behaviour now um, kids getting into trouble. There's a lot of stuff, like there's drugs and everything in those movie games mm. that they're playing. Yeah, and then and they go yeah. out and they think, well, we've been watching this, and we've been doing it, this is what happens next. Right. So they'll, they'll act this out in, in, in yeah. some way. I mean, it's, it's human nature, really. If you see everything that you accept and nobody has said to you, well, Tommy, that's wrong. Little Tommy is going to grow into the guy that goes out in the street and thinks that's normal. All right, Siobhan. Well, really good to talk to you today. It's a very interesting point there. Thank you very much for coming on with us. Uh, 083 311 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, Tipperary County Council with the newly formed Clonmel Town team will host uh, information evenings for owners and leaseholders of vacant properties to hear about supports available to them. We'll tell you about those dates in just a little while but it is aimed at vacant property owners and uh, Tipperary County Council officials will provide information on various schemes and supports uh, available. For more on this, I'm glad to be joined now by the chairman of uh, Clonmel Town team and, of course, community activist as well, Noel Buckley and Clonmel Town Regeneration Officer Anya McCarthy is with me too. So good morning to you good both. Morning, so thanks, good morning. Thanks for coming in to us. Um, can I talk to you, first of all, Noel, about Clonmel Town team because this is a, a recent uh, creation. What exactly yeah, is Yeah, I it? suppose historically there was always a, a Clonmel Town Forum that represented the trade. A lot of the traders were represented on it, and so on. But as part of a development of town of uh, town regeneration, town teams are now formed in each town, and they're made up of a cross section of community, so that all sections of the community are represented, uh, from business people to community representatives and key stakeholders, so that you have a diverse representation of people from the town. Right, with a view to what, exactly? Well, I suppose the one thing everybody would share, they have a shared vision of making the town they live in a better place to live in, to work and to invest in. So that's why they want representatives from all the diverse backgrounds uh, in it. And I suppose most towns will have had conversations around coffee tables over the last couple of years about the decline of towns. So town teams uh, are being put in place in towns to say, let's make our towns a better place to live in, uh, a better place to work in, a yeah. better place to socialise in. And we'll be talking specifically today, I suppose, about dereliction and, and mm. vacant properties, but I presume you will deal with all sorts of other issues oh, as well, yeah. antisocial um, behaviour, drug taking, all of that. Yeah, well, I suppose... Um, it's about promoting the town as a, as a place. It's looking at things we can do to enhance our town. It's working with the county council. It's working with the local representatives. It's working with the people of the town themselves where they identify needs that need addressing and, and progressing. Um, so 
it facilitates, if you like, the public engaging with the county council uh, in in progressing projects. And uh, just to give you an example, like we have Michelle Aylworth representing the Chamber of Commerce, Willie Burke, who's manager of the Talbot Hotel, representing the hospitality sector, uh, or Michael Madigan, the community and heritage sector, uh, Carl Creighton representing the local authority, Seamus Moore representing the community sector, Richie Malias, town mayor, Suzanne O'Gorman, traders representative, Philip Meany, the uh, Wheelers Asso- Wheelchair Association, Frank Morn, the Vintners, Clean Amar, the festival representative. Right, so it's quite a, quite a cross section uh, yeah. there. So there's a, yeah. a cross section engaged with, uh, with the process uh, mm. in developing it. And it's the beginning of a journey. And we're fortunate here in Clonmel, a town plan has already been drawn up and a number of projects identified and I suppose one of the ones people in Clonmel will have seen evidence of recently is the town plaza that has just been yes. finished. Which, which is hugely successful which of is course. hugely it looks, successful. It looks, looks fantastic yeah. indeed. Yeah. Now what you're doing and what you aim to do plays very much into what we're going to talk about uh, today so Anya McCarthy as I say um, uh, Anya is uh, the Clonmel Town Regeneration Officer tell me about these events and what you're hoping to achieve with them Anya. I suppose we're targeting vacant property owners across <laughs> the county and um, we're having two events so we're going to have one in Clonmel and one in Ross Grey and the purpose of them is to bring uh, various departments within the local authority together to provide information then to these vacant and derelict property owners on planning legislation, building control, fire regulations um, and as well then the grants that are available to these um, vacant property owners so enable the property owners and the leaseholders in the town to be well informed and the next steps that they can take in order to bring their property back into commercial or residential use so we want to get houses back um, on the market we can fulfil the housing need within the town but also um, I suppose the purpose of town centre first is to make town centres more vibrant like Noel has said mm. but also encourage town centre living and by by the government um, delivering on these grant schemes you're trying to get people back living in the town centres and above proper, um, above say even a commercial premises. Yeah and, and that's a very important uh, aspect of this I guess uh, people living above premises. Traditionally, of course, that did happen on you. Oh, yeah. and, and, and we'd like to have that back again. I Absolutely. I think that's why the, the, the National Town Centre First policy was introduced back in 2022. It was it was to bring people back into mm. the town centre and address the drop the, in the position of towns that they traditionally had as the service centres, as the life and soul of the communities coming in and into the surrounds mm. from Clonmel or Ross Grey, for example. So the, the grand schemes, I suppose there's, uh, there's, there's vacant refurbishment uh, grant schemes and um, on the evening um, my colleague uh, Nevin Phelan, the vacant homes officer, mm. will make people aware who own vacant and derelict properties in towns of the supports that are available. Is it fair to say though there wasn't a huge uptake on uh, what was being made available to people to um, regenerate over the shops? That that didn't take off tremendously well, did it? Well I think that was addressed in terms of the government increasing the grant that was available. So since May the grant has um, increased to 50 thousand and actually we have a large number of applications in it's called the Creek Onaha Grant Scheme yes. and we have almost 300 applications being processed by Tipperary County Council at this moment in time.
time and um, the idea is that you would get up to 50,000 grand for refurbishment but if it's derelict then you could get a top up grant of up to 20,000 so there's terms and conditions obviously that apply with that but um, I, I think it, it is working and I think what will happen on the evening is um, my colleague will show best practice examples of this around the county so that people can see a tangible result where this has been effective mm, and show yeah. those and demonstrate those on the evening. Right, could, so I, could I add in there Fran, I was talking to a businessman who availed of it recently mm. and he was making the point uh, one of the benefits he sees immediately is passive income to his business okay his shop underneath is generating money yes but of course you're dependent on customer uh, footfall and so on and from week to week you don't know but as he said this is guaranteed income coming into me each week each month he has two places now to let overhead his shop right so, so he's in no doubt that he's this in is no doubt on the value of bottom line he, was saying he, would, he would highly recommend it Yes. Um, from the point of view of, as I said, it secures your income. Yes, of course it plays into exactly what your team is all about. Yeah, as well, and I suppose, uh, I suppose for business people listening in, what matters to business people is footfall on the street. That's mm. what generates income. Mm. And the more we can encourage people to live in towns, and I mean, you and I would have remembered a time when people actually lived over their premises course, and yes. worked in their premises. Now you you find a lot of your streets, there's hardly a person. I think there's three people uh, resident in O'Connell Street, our main street My in God. the town at the moment. So it would be great to see that footfall back. And I think something that has changed in the history as well is we now have a lot of uh, people from other countries who are coming to live here. And historically, their experience is one of living in towns. So uh, they would be delighted to avail of uh, places to rent right in the centre of town and particularly the younger generation who want to be in the heart of things. Um, in, in terms of the, the tax implications of this as well, you'll have news and information on, on all of that, how people can benefit, I suppose. Uh, on Absolutely, your yeah. yeah. I, I suppose as well as the Creekona had the other scheme that we'd be uh, making people aware of is the repair and lease scheme and that targets the delivery of social housing and ensures that existing housing stock is used to the maximum degree possible. So that scheme, you can get up to 80,000 including that to repair a property and then lease it back to the local authority for a minimum of five years. Um, so that has been quite an attractive scheme as well for people. Also allows us to improve the housing stock within the local authority um, and we'll be talking about that scheme also on the evening. Very good indeed. So just to give the dates uh, once again, we're talking about the 16th of November at the Talbot and uh, where Ross Grey is concerned? In Ross Grey we're going to host it um, on the 20th of November in Damer House at 6 o'clock and both of these events I suppose um, to tie in with Noel and we also have a, a, an excellent town champion Brian King and Ross Gray um, we are working in collaboration with the town teams to deliver on their town centre first plan so there's a Clonmel town centre first plan there's a Ross Gray town centre first plan our role as a local authority is to deliver more of these plans across the towns uh, across the county and um, we're working closely with the town teams and in collaboration with the local authority and the county councillors are we at a time of change, Noel, in terms of the way our town centres are going to look um, for for the future? Is, the, is it a case that people will begin to go back and move in and live in the I, 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 I think, I suppose, the greatest need people have now is what you might call social connection. And the obvious space where you make that social connection is in, in, in towns and villages. And you've heard local representatives uh, cry over the years about the closure of post offices, mm. the closure of local shops and so on, in, in a way taking the heart out of the community. So town teams are about regenerating 
those towns and those spaces. And if you like, you've you've heard about the economic argument, a lot of online shopping now and so on. But if you notice, a lot of the places are bl- a lot of shops now are blending where they're providing food and retail experience and so on. And very often, shops on the high street now are places where people go and explore what they might buy online. But they're spending in the town at the same time. Yes, does that makes sense. Yeah, like does, you, yeah. you'll have noticed during COVID, for instance, <clears throat> and since COVID, the thriving of coffee shops. Mm. Why are people coming to town because they want to connect? And what we want to make in, in, in the towns first and towns teams in the various parts of the county is make our towns attractive places where people want to come in. And fortunately here in Clonmel, we're going to have a local bus service uh, coming on scheme uh, early December, which will provide transport right around the town and do away with the need for and people to get into fantastic. the car on a regular do, basis. Do we need to stop then uh, or change our thinking that, that businesses... For the future, they they won't. Large businesses won't be moving into our town centres now. I mean, is that is that the realistic? I, well, uh, I I think the, the economically, large businesses always like to keep a shop front in their town. That's yeah. where people discover their products, and some choose to buy them. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in store and some choose to buy them online. I think you'll see all of the stores. But I think what towns need as well is to support local businesses. The, the small shop owners. Yes, yeah. uh, they're large employers. People tend to think Co- of the large... Collectively, they are. Collectively, they? they're yeah. a huge number. If you look at it even here in Clonmel, the number of small businesses that are employing large numbers of people. I mean, you, you take the likes of the Talbot Hotel above mm. Um, mm. at one end of the town employs 130 people. Mm. You know, that's just one uh, business in the town. So... All of that adds up. Mm. Uh, but I think what people want is they want their urban spaces to look attractive. And that's why you'll see in all of the town plans, they have plans for course, the development yes. of their streets, uh, pedestrian spaces, social spaces to sit down, public parks, public arenas. I mean, there's a plan here in Clonmel, for instance, to link the island, which we're a unique town in that sense of having an island mm. in the heart of our mm. town. So there's a pedestrian bridge gone to plan at this stage to link from where the old site of the Clonmel Arms was right across to the island and that's going to be a very attractive amenity space of course, when it's developed. Well, indeed. Yeah. Where the meetings are concerned only, do people have to register? How, how no, does that work? They can just, they can just um, turn up on the evening and also the there is um, uh, all of the information is available on the County Council website but can I just come in on the back of what of Noel said and in relation to Clonmel um, I suppose the local authorities role is uh, in in, in, in delivering these town centre first plans is to make them places attractive um, mm. accessible and as part of our town centre first plans we look after the local authorities role is to look after developing the public realm and I think that we really need to build on the momentum that we have now even in Clonmel for example the fantastic civic plaza and now mm. that is kicking barracks um, even the sports hub you've got the blue way and all of the funding and the in terms of that was put into that infrastructure the museum has been redeveloped the laneways have been upgraded mm. as Noel said there's a new bus service there's going to be new Garda barracks um, all of these are positive things mm. and contribute to tackling um, vacancy dereliction and regeneration yes. of towns and it's great to hear the positives because mm. of course we don't always hear uh, the positives on absolutely you, you know, yeah so. and I think um, this this is just 
an opportunity for people to come um, to Ross Grey and to Clanmel to hear the supports that are the, are available from my, my local authority colleagues and so I suppose not only the vacant homes officer but um, my, the acting senior planner Anne-Marie Devaney will be there um, to talk about planning and development um, Martin Moore our assistant chief fire officer again he'll talk about building control and Carl Crichton from the borough will talk about the enhancement schemes that are available in the town of Clonmel and Sharon Scully will talk about I suppose she's the district administrator in Thurlis about the enhancement schemes that are available in, in uh, to the town of Ross Grey on these indeed. evenings. Councillor Michael Murphy was on and he just wants to wish you well Noel as chair of the Clonmel town uh, team he's looking forward to working with you as, as deputy mayor in the, the future as well so are you getting cooperation from everybody like I, that? I, yeah and I think you used a very interesting word there cooperation and I would add collaboration it, it's about the council and the town working together yeah. and, and you know taking ownership of our town and saying what can we do to make our town a place where people want to live where people are proud to walk downtown and enjoy connecting with people that's, that's the aim and I suppose through the town team as well it gives access to uh, the public to call those people and say listen I have an idea because it's not just the council has a number of projects and is in their town plan and they're, they're dependent on government funding and getting them through the various stages yes. and, and, and progressing them and thankfully we have that plan up and, and in place but there's also a lot of things locals can take ownership of. You take the model of Kilkenny and Killarney as an example in terms of organising festivals. Incredible. This town has, has yeah. the potential as a tourism town to be the recreational capital of Ireland. It's one of the few towns in Ireland where you can walk directly onto the mountains. You can walk by the river shore or cycle it for 13 miles and that's going to be extended over time. And you know, there's a huge number of festivals that Clonmel could grow. Mm. Uh, we've we've had the development of the Junction Festival, the Apple Festival, and so on. And could I mention, coming up to Christmas now, we're going to have the switching on of the Christmas lights and music on the plaza. When, when does that happen? And so on. I think it's the first uh, week, you've caught me on the hop, I think it's the first <laughs> weekend in December. Right. And we have an appeal. Uh, people people love the atmosphere of Christmas and walking into town yeah, and seeing the lights and the music and the shops decorated and, and the local retailers but and, on fantastic and do you show. think are, are we at the point where people are ready now to take that step forward do you do well you I, I, that, I think no? we've had an interesting phenomenon since covid I, I see one of my own sons has come back to live uh, in the in the town he was working in Dublin uh, with being able to work from home now a lot of his friends are back now living in Clonmel and they want to see the town a better place yeah. because they have a stake now in this town they're living here and when you're living in a space, you have a stake in seeing it improve. And and I got fed up of listening to conversations around the pubs and coffee shops and whatever of our town is in a terrible state and that. And a lot of the people who were on this uh, had the same experience and said, well, let's get together. When we found the opportunity of the town team and the suggestion we thought it was a great idea, let's get together mm. and do something about it. So I would encourage groups to make contact with us. And if they have ideas... Uh, to bring them forward and we'll see can we progress them and support them in any way because as Anya said as well there's a lot of grants going out there for various initiatives and very often people are not aware of it and that's why I'd encourage 
all the business owners uh, and and to come to uh, and, and become and aware and of what's awareness out there. Yeah. Is half the battle. Um, Could I also say though on the Christmas lights issue? You know, we take the atmosphere in our town for granted. It costs over forty thousand euros to run the Christmas lights, put them up, take them down, and the running of electricity and anything that has to be bought it has uh, deteriorated since last year. So there's a letter gone out to businesses and owners uh, in the town uh, in last week to support it. So far, we've had one fantastic donation of, of over five grand from one group. So, uh, and local businesses, 200, 300, whatever it is, it all adds up. All right, of course it uh, does. And it's lot. so important yeah. to the town as well. All of this plays into your job, I suppose, Anya, and it helps in terms of regeneration, which is at the centre of what you do. That's right. I suppose uh, my role really is to deliver the National Town Centre for us policy for the county. Yeah. So I'm the town regeneration officer. There's one of me in every local authority across the country. And we work together with mm. setting up town teams. Some some towns actually have teams already established, traditional development associations or community associations so we'll start to work with them now and see how they can be reimagined as town teams and see where we can deliver town centre first plans for other communities across the across the county, the likes of Nina, Carrick and Shore, um, Templemore, Thurless, all of these towns have the Tipperary potential town. to build yeah, on yeah. the work that mm. we've already achieved in Clonmel and in Roscoe. Right. Well, well done and good to see you both today. Thanks very much much indeed, Oni McCarthy and uh, Noel Buckley. News is coming up very soon. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Thanks, Pat. Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Uh, Billy is in Nina. He says, uh, listening to that lady and yourself giving out about, well, I didn't think we were giving out. I thought we were sharing our opinions. But anyway, giving out about kids using smartphones and looking at screens all the time. You're saying they should have their head in a book. But uh, what's the difference? Smartphones are the books of the 21st century. My parents gave out uh, about me having my head stuck in a book when I was young and not conversing with them. Times move on and everything is relative. Well, I suppose you're making a very good uh, point there. The only thing I would say to you is if you're stuck in a book, you're stuck in a book and you can't go down a rabbit hole of sort of, you know, whether it's TikTok or Facebook or WhatsApp or whatever these other platforms are, I suppose. Somebody else says uh, no child uh, under the age of 16 should have a phone only, uh, a phone that can call home and not one with all of these uh, games and apps on it. Um, and finally for now, um, the lady you have on the radio speaking about the iPhones has no idea. Well, she has an idea and she has her opinion as well. Anyway, this lesson goes on to say, she's definitely one of the people that need her kids to help her with technology. Judging parents in a restaurant because their kids are on an iPad, parents are just trying to get by. In most houses, both parents work. When they go out for dinner, they just want to switch off and not have the whole restaurant looking at their kids, judging how they are hyper. If I didn't leave my daughter, have a phone or iPad, I'd be a hypocrite. I use my phone to stay in contact with friends or to unwind. In the evenings, I can't deny an only child contact with her friends. Once children are educated and supervised, I see no issue. Kids will just use their friend's phone and lie about it if you deny them from only one, which will lead to more lies as they get older. We need to move with the times and have a respectful, honest relationship with our children. 
says one of our listeners who's a little bit cross uh, this morning. Thank you indeed, and you're making some great points there as well. All right, then, it's time for our health slot. I'm glad to be joined by the CEO of Marito 8020 in Clanmel. Muriel Cuddy is with me. Muriel, good morning to you. Do, do, do you have an opinion, by the way, about smartphones? I'm just I'm smiling away there because I suppose I have two families, literally, because my elder two are 21 and 20, and then my younger two are 14 and 13, so they're nearly being reared in different times yes. because post-COVID and pre-COVID is different. And you know they say kids don't listen and people don't listen and that's our topic for today or whatever. But my 20-year-old is an avid book reader. She reads like 10 books a, a week and if she, her head is stuck in a book, she doesn't listen. No matter what you say to her, if she's in the middle of a book, she's gone in onto a different planet completely. My younger two are stuck in gadgets. Mm. But this is the age, literally. Like, they learn from it, you know. So there's, there's definitely far and against. I think we definitely need to keep the book piece open and, and mm. let them, because that, to disappear into a book like there's oh, definitely no yeah. nothing better and, yeah. and, and they're losing that skill but you can't deny them the skill of technology because life is going to be technology going forward and if they don't learn from it like they're going to be left behind and there's a lot of different things I think for technology as in like the the, the against it pieces there big time yeah but I hear the lads on PlayStation at night and um, Rocco plays um, for, or FIFA is it or whatever yeah soccer mm. he's about six or seven boys that his friends were here in town that aren't out our side, right, that he goes to school with. The shouting and roaring and he scored and you and that was my goal and that was whatever and they're all together but they're not together. He's mm. safe and he's under my roof. He's not out on the side of the street. He's having great crack. I can hear him and I know, you know, what's happening. You know, so that side is there. The communication side, I'm gone early in the morning. I can text the boys or I can message him. I can follow him. They have to have Snapchat on their phone and their location has to be on. So I know where they are or where they've been with their Snapchat location on. Revolut, when they pay for things, they have Revolut cards. The same thing, if they tap for something in a shop, I know they've tapped for something and I know where they are. So if they're coming back from a game or something. Now, people might say this is like gone too far, but the parent that said both parents are working, we both have to work. So we have to embrace technology to keep our kids safe. So there's two sides. Now, Rocco walks around with the phone out in his hand like nearly 24-7 when he gets away with it into the toilet, put down the phone, <laughs> you know, all of that kind of thing. Yes. So there's far and against it and you have to monitor it. But yes, I do embrace it to a certain level because it makes my life right. easier and it keeps them safe. And and in terms of the age that they should get a phone at, do you I have think, thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, I do. I think confirmation was always good. Yeah. I think Jaden got it a little bit earlier. He was the youngest in the family and they all had phones and he was whipping everybody's phone. Mm. And he was driving everybody cracked. And he had, he was doing the same things anyway. So mm. being number four, he definitely got it a year earlier than what the lads did. But so what, about nine, is it? Oh, no, I would say 10, 11. 10, 11, Yeah, you? 10, yeah. 11, yeah. By 12, they're yeah, nearly almost teenagers at that stage. They're looking to go to discos and <laughs> rev and yeah, whatever, by the time, and they're in first year. But definitely 10 or 11, any younger than that, yeah. I think. Well, it's, it's interesting bit, to hear yeah. you speak about the positives, and there are well, There, 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 are, there are, you, you yeah. have to, as a parent, yeah, yeah, you have to live, and the kids have to know what to do, because, yeah, they will be left behind. You're going to talk to us uh, today about listening, and this is something we were talking about um, <laughs> off-air as well. Some people don't have these uh, skills Skills, uh, listening yeah. skills. And I'd go down the rabbit hole of men and women in a, min- in a minute. Because, um, yeah. yeah, the men, yeah. The men oh, all, yeah, I definitely yeah, feel yeah, I they're going imagine. to get the, get the bad rap. Oh, we'll I'm see. looking forward to that. We'll all see. Right. We'll what, see. what about listening then? How, how important is it? Do you know this? where it came from? Again, I suppose it's every single day um, when I'm in clinic and people come into me. And I get this thing and I got it twice yesterday. Um, and it was two men, actually. And they were both, say, 60s, 70s, that kind of age group. And they both said to me, why am I getting this from you? Why didn't I hear this? 10 years ago 
like I'm on these tablets or whatever he said well why didn't the doctor listen to me like why wasn't I and I had all these questions or whatever and I would have done what I was told to do if somebody had listened to me so it's like why aren't people listening or why aren't we being heard and when you look into this like you see in a doctor's surgery they've to see 20 to 30 patients a day Right, so that's like 15 minute slots. They have to do prescriptions, they have to get consultants and get appointments and all of that kind of thing. And in the, the, the medical practice now is standardised, like nearly everything is. So it's like one in, one out, one in, one mm. out, and you have a list of questions you ask and you make it as efficient as you possibly can. And then even when they're doing medical training, you're ta- taught in medical school to ask as many questions as you possibly can to get the answers to find out what's wrong with somebody. So you're asking questions, you're not listening, you're not taught to do the listening piece. So this was the start of where this piece came from. And then I had a woman in and she said to me, she sent her husband to the supermarket to buy bread. So she sent him off to buy two different types of bread, right? One he's on 17 years himself anyway and the other one was the one that I was putting him on, right? She gave him exactly where they were how much they were and what they looked like and he's been eating one of them 17 years and he came back with the two wrong <laughs> types of bread. So the, the first 10 minutes were literally hard given out but he doesn't listen, he doesn't whatever. You told him what to do, I told him what to do, whatever, you know. Uh-huh. Now, we do know that men... Um, men uh, listen with the left hand, the left side of their brain, listen to the logical side of the brain, whereas women listen with both sides of the brain. So, um, of course you'd say that, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> when both sides are activated, it's kind of... They and what, say, what's the difference then? What, what's happening But do you know here? what? There isn't a difference really. Even though the physical difference is there, the research is there to say there isn't really a difference in listening between men and women. Yeah. It's literally up to the individual. John Prine has a song and he says that when his wife is talking to him, he's in a bar at the other side of town. Oh my God. <laughs> So there's yeah. an element of that. So, like, we're just not taking it in. Well, is that a, is... you see, when you listen, you, yeah. you, the, the, the stats are there that we only take in 25 to 50% of what we hear. Okay. So, like, you think of somebody giving you directions mm-hmm. and you're listening to them. Oh, I know. By the time they get to, like, take the third right at wherever yeah. traffic lights, I'm, I'm gone. gone. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, like, I listen every day for a living, but my lads will tell me at home, like, Charles actually rode across my beast this morning before I came out, Muriel. Um, as in when you're listening, put the phone down and this kind of thing. Yeah. Because, yes, my ability to listen outside of work hours diminishes rapidly. And mm. I can see it in one of my children, Rocco, mm. doesn't listen either, right? So your ability to listen, or, and you know you can learn. So active listening is a skill that you can learn, you know, mm. that you can actually teach yourself what to do. So I think it's a skill that we need because people don't listen to understand. People listen to... The, you, you should listen to a reply or people listen to a reply they don't listen to understand we're supposed to listen to understand mm. because that's how we can communicate and everybody's talking but nobody's listening Yes, and I think that's causing a lot of the communication issues and some people there. are preparing their reply while you're talking so they're oh. really not taking in your it's gone they're gone yeah. way ahead yeah, yeah. listen and, and, and is that not so many people today in the mm. world today like yeah. even when I'm talking to you you have 50 things in front of you mm. that are next coming on and whatever so you have to to go ahead of yourself like to put yourself but you, you're not what would you say if you're not engaged in the moment you're not giving the best to yourself lost. I mean yeah. you know I say this to young broadcasters all the time the big yeah. gift as a broadcaster is to listen to yeah. the person that you're you're talking and to and stop you know? talking and yeah. I think that's the success of what I do in clinic mm. because when people say to me you know you listened or you're listening or I have a full hour I can't believe the amount of information and, you know, the fact that you're actually getting the relevant information, but I can get the relevant information or education to somebody because I can 
I have the time. I only see eight or ten clients a day mm. and every single client gets an hour. Mm. So you can imagine the amount of talking somebody can do to me before I have in to an hour, yes. do an assessment or before I do the education piece. And even when that hour is done, they can still communicate with me for two weeks via whatever technology. And you're saying to me that people are surprised that they're listened to, is that? Yeah, they're surprised that they're listened to because when people aren't listened to, that's where the disgruntledness comes from. That's where they feel the lack of respect is, where they feel the lack of support is. And that's, I think, where the health service is down because if somebody feels there isn't support their lack of respect that they don't really respect me as a human being at all I'm just another person I'm one in one out and I even had a girl yesterday Fran and this is kind of frightening so she was she was quiet quiet girl she's been to a consultant I think about three times for um, gastro problems so different things and she's been put on different medication she feels the medication is adversely affecting her so it's giving her stomach cramps and making her feel really unwell she's back with the consultant again in three weeks time she was sitting in front of me asking me could I draft an email for her of questions so she could bring her husband so he could ask the questions because she didn't feel that when she was asking him she was getting the right answer so he was giving the information he, she, he was just being dismissive as in right okay no you need this tablet I've told you that's what you need to do I've told you that's what you need to take that's what the scan says now okay move on to the next and she was so upset over it because she feels she's become so more unwell since she started taking the tablet from where she was beforehand, you know? So, like, listening is a skill, isn't it, that has to come back into the whole... You know, it's strange that you talk about that, but a few months ago on the programme, we started talking about, I think, various things on doctors, but then it evolved into a conversation about consultants Hmm. and consultants with this godlike approach and not listening to to people. And I've heard it. it, It's coming to me again and again that when, yes, when you get to the consultant piece then it's nearly the untouchable piece or whatever that even down along underneath there are more you can ask more questions and there is more accountability whereas the accountability piece goes the further up the chain you go which to me isn't fair or isn't right and that's what I've been saying and I said it to her yesterday have your list of questions you're entitled to ask the questions and you're entitled to get the answers and you're entitled to stay sitting where you're sitting until you get the answers regardless of how much time is allocated to you mm. you know it's it's the same in, in my clinic like you're entitled to get whatever answers you've come in for that's what you're paying for so well would you not imagine uh, Muriel that I mean that that you'd want to get as much information as you can so you can diagnose uh, yeah, issue. but there's a list of que- there's a list of questions, and if you get the answers to those questions, you can diagnose very quickly. Because, like I said, everything is standardised now. Yes. So, like you tick box one, two, and three, and there's an answer for that, and then you tick box oh, whatever right, okay. it is. So, so many things are standardised. It's the quickest way possible. And I suppose in medicine today as well, isn't it? It's the pharma world, and it's all of that world. So you can move somebody on to the next level, or you can give a tablet that will cure one problem but it causes maybe 10 other or masks 10 other so like you know it's kind of six of one and half a dozen of another isn't it in our world we don't do the pharma world so mm. in our world you're gone in underneath and yes. it's the preventative side so mm. you have to go backwards yes everybody will still stay on the medication they're on but if you can go back and you can kind of sort out what's happening or where it came from in the beginning you have a really good chance of changing somebody and we do all the mm. time Like uh, I remember Dr Pat Harold telling me that the most important question was often uh, he calls it the doorknob question as somebody's leaving they say oh and by the way if yeah. you know but that was really in a lot of cases, the reason they came in the, the main place, question. You know? Everyone always has a question, and even in my world, they'll have the question, and it can be anything. It could be on sexual health, uh, it could be on like constipation, or you know, somebody they'll start whispering like diarrhea or my poo, or they'll start whispering. They'll go in a very low voice with the questions that they don't want to ask, but you'll know by them that they're peppering. 
But when they're given enough time, then the question comes out. And you have to have time then because that could completely troll the, troll the whole consultation that that throws up something else, if that makes sense to you. So if you leave out the important information, you're not going to get the right answers. But the listening piece, mm. so we've talked about, say, like the clinic and the doctors or whatever, but the listening piece across the board, like even at home, wherever you are, mm. like there's three A's to active listening. Do you want to know what they are? Yes, I do. Yeah, okay. So the first one is attitude. So what would that mean? So the attitude is literally how you approach the speaker. If you have mm. an open mind and a positive attitude, straight away, somebody's going to tell you more. You know, mm. so say like me, somebody might sit in front of me and I get difficult clients all the time and they might say to me, you know, well, um, no, bread is a no. I can't give up bread or I can't do the dairy piece. And for me, that's the, the piece that I have to kind of, with the attitude, pull back a little, right. stay positive, yes. do the open mind piece or whatever. We need to do that a lot, even with the kids and stuff like that. You can't straight away, if you jump in and you're not going to listen and you're gone ahead of them, you're done straight away. The second one then is attention. So it's focusing on the conversation and ignoring distractions. So we're literally, again... The phone comes up, you're looking over your head, 10, ten different things. So the attention and the, and, and the attitude are the first two. So you have to be physically and mentally there. You have to do that when you're on radio. If you're not physically and mentally here, you can't do what you're of doing course, because yeah. to get a listener to come in from the other side, yeah, mm. you're going to lose them within two mm. seconds, aren't you? And then the other one then is adjustment. And this is about adapting to the speaker and where the conversation is going. You shouldn't assume or steer a conversation. And a lot of people do that. So they get the first sentence and then they kind of steer the conversation towards a specific topic or towards they, what they kind of want to talk about. You know, so like, again, in, I get a lot of this. Somebody wants to come in, they want to talk to me about a certain thing and they'll go way off track and I know I have to pull them back or I can't give them the information mm. they need. And I'm sure you get a lot of all, that as all well. All the time, yeah. but you have to get people back on focus. You yeah. have to get them back in, yeah. <clears throat> so to improve active listening, it's a skill you can learn and practice. I said that already, but there's so many different things. Like, it helps you fight conflict, um, Fran. Like, mm. all the, like, the impact it can have on relationships with people when people actually feel listened to. The miss understood side all of that I get people and especially people that are in the older age age bracket they actually what do they like they feel like they're what, what, what's the word I'm looking at? invisible mm. because mm. nobody's listening to them, you know and now there is a side to it sometimes if you're not being listened to is it because you're not a good listener yourself so that side is there too so if you're not good to listen when you actually want somebody to listen to you you're going to kind of get that piece back again, aren't you? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I presume that body language plays a part in it as well, that you, oh. you, you have to look like you're open to listening to somebody. You know, that? massively, because, yeah. you know, if you, um, with body language, your word, you, your body and your words have to match. What was the stat? The, the stats on that? Your words convey 7%, seven your face and your, um, your face, what is it? Your face and your voice tone, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, um, are the other 93%. Wow. Yeah. And then confidence. Like they say, if you walk into a room, if you were to do a talk, say in something like AI, if you're not confident about the speech that you're actually given, nobody's going to have confidence in the words that you're actually, mm. you know, speaking or whatever. Yeah, they'll so, pick up on your fear and your insecurity. Totally, totally, yeah. So your confidence and your body language or whatever are massive, yeah. But then there is another side to it. So, you know, if you're not able to listen and your concentration levels and stuff aren't there, and we get a lot of this as well, you know, the brain fog and... Mm. The, you know, not able to concentrate on that. Like the mineral deficiencies are there um, and we're finding that a lot with people too. So when you actually get that piece right, people actually can focus again and they actually, and I, I, I'm getting that, a lady actually said it to me, she's listened this morning, she'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Her kids were off school, her grandkids were off school last week. Um, she's three that she minds. They're all under a certain age or whatever. And she said to me, Muriel, you couldn't believe the difference. She said, there was no row. She said, I had the loveliest week with the three of them. She said, I never... Um, flew off the handle 
I was able to listen. I was able to sit down with them. I was able to engage. I wasn't given out or I wasn't whatever. And she puts it all down to the new lifestyle of what she's doing and how well she feels. So like she would have been deficient in vitamin D3. So vitamin D3 is, you know, your mm. brain, etc. Mm. Uh, B vitamins, I think we need to increase. And we definitely increase loads of omega-3s in that in her diet. We've done that through her diet or whatever. So all of those things all affect your brain and how you feel and how you concentrate. And, and the, the people that you're talking to, because I guess it, get, it gets past symptoms when you're speaking to people and they speak about relationships and uh, the like. I mean, listening within relationships, I guess that's that's huge, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, and that goes by the by, doesn't it, as time goes on, literally, yeah. yeah. Because, again, because life is so busy, isn't it? And, yeah, yeah there's ten things to do or whatever. So I suppose it is, isn't it, time out and mm. whatever. In work, I suppose you've got to cultivate the relationships, don't you? Because... If you don't, that piece isn't going to come together to the mm. same extent. Whereas in home life, to cultivate it is different. And I know with me, I listen to the kids mm. because I have to listen to the mm. kids because they mm. make sure I listen to, listen to them, especially when they have issues and problems or whatever, you know. Mm. So, yeah, you, I think the active listening piece is massive. It's very interesting indeed. Um, tell me about uh, some of the other issues that you're dealing with uh, lately where health is concerned. I mean, because mm. it seems to me from speaking to you that you get times when it, it's all one issue. It might be stomach issues and other times then it might be brain fog. And like, what, what's big at the moment if there's a fashion to health? Um, weight is m- always massive, massive, massive. Mm. And weight now coming towards Christmas time for oh, people yes, for this course. month of November into December, everybody wants to lose a few pounds. For Christmas. Everybody's gone out this year. Yeah. Like everybody has plans to do something or go somewhere. A lot of people are going abroad, going on holidays and they want to look well or whatever. So weight for me is probably, I think, the biggest one. And November, the depression piece, a lot of people are so tired and they're trying to lose weight and they're trying to behave themselves and do all that. So I think the one of the things I keep saying to people is be kind, number one. Mm. And then number two, do the simple stuff right. Because if you get the health piece right, the weight comes with it. And that comes every single time. Now, I remember I said to you last week, the taco chip. I got such a slagging over the taco chip. Right I love so. a taco chip right. and I I will have a taco chip again, but listen, the, the three meals a day, if you can, every single person, if if the 600 people that are coming through me were to ring in now, they would all say, what works is get up and have a breakfast in the morning, have your lunch, your snacks in between are your nuts and your seeds and your dark chocolate and have a proper mammy dinner, either in the evening time or you have it at lunchtime and just do that five days a week. And if you do that five days a week, the other two kind of fall into line. But the minute I see that, I see visceral fat levels fall. And when they fall, cholesterol levels fall because they go hand in hand. So I have high cholesterol, high blood pressure and high sugars. There's a three things. But if you can do those three things right, the weight comes with it every single time. I had a girl in yesterday and she lost 11 pounds in five weeks. I had a man in and he lost nine pounds or eight, eight point eight pounds yesterday in his first three weeks working with us. This isn't dieting. No, and this isn't, it's not muscle mass that they lost. It's not hydration levels that they lost. Mm. They lost body fat and visceral fat. So they stripped off the fat off the body that needs to go and the fat internally that needs to go. Mm. And everybody will say to me, I don't, and I have two girls, one that lost three stone actually. She drives all the way down from North Tip or Nina or somewhere like that. But she's three stone lost since she started in July. And she said to me, I can't understand it. And they're all saying to me at home, like, where's it gone? You've shrunk. And she said, I'm eating. And everybody's watching me eating. She said, all my life, I always felt I was on a diet and I was watching normal people. Mm. And how can they go out for a meal? And she's had a dessert and somebody sits down, they have a cup of coffee and a bar of chocolate. And she said, I never felt normal that I could actually do normal things. I'd go home then and binge uh, and, you know, go on the the, Mm. the whole cycle, Mm. whatever. But she said, I do things normally now. And the weight has come off, three stone lighter. And you know, she's and like she doesn't do feel life. deprived in any way. She's not, you're not deprived because you don't crave. 
That's the biggest thing. Uh, yeah, so when the cravings yeah, go, then the rest comes into line. And All you're right. allowed to have your wine. <laughs> so she looking directly at me. Um, if people yeah. want to talk to you, Muriel, or the team, how can they do that? Yes, so they can call 052 or www.marito8020.com. All right, great to see you. Thanks, Muriel. We'll take a break and we're back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie now, the TUS uh, Thurlis campus will host an open day this coming Saturday and uh, prospective uh, students can find out more about the array of courses available for full-time, part-time and those interested in flexi-learning as well. Now, Ali spoke to Seamus Hoyne, who is head of Centre for the Thurlis campus, who told us what we can expect this coming Saturday. Well, we have our, our open day in our TUS uh, Thurlis campus on Saturday running from 11 to 1pm so it's a, a great opportunity for prospective students to come and talk to our lecturing staff and our academic staff to find out about the range of programmes that we have everything from agricultural science climate action, games development, social care, business um, and IT, other IT programmes um, that they can come and uh, meet the lecturers uh, explore the campus, also find out about the range of supports that are available across the university. Um, so really uh, an opportunity to, to come and ask questions, you know, look beyond the website, look beyond the, the documentation and get to meet people and understand the, the programmes that we deliver. And TUS has enjoyed great development and great growth over recent years and the fact as well that Thurlis was made a university town, how has that helped? Yeah, I mean... Uh, Torres is, is kind of unique in that it has uh, two universities uh, in the town now between Tuse and, and Mary I. So um, both universities have uh, open days on the same day, so we're collaborating. So it means in terms of student experience in the town, there's a um, collaboration amongst the students to create that student experience. And we're also planning further developments on the TUS campus. So we're working with uh, partners to develop sporting facilities on the site. We've got recently got planning permission this year for um, growth of sporting facilities. And we're working very closely with Tipperary ETB and with the, the department and the, the Higher Education Authority with, with big plans for expansion of the campus. Um, so, you know, the... Thurlis as a university town is growing and increased opportunities for people in terms of their educational opportunities. And certainly the benefits as well to the wider community and we'll get maybe to the accommodation aspect of it in a minute but I'm sure a lot of people will be familiar of the work done at the sports lab there which is used by a lot of sporting groups uh, across the county. That's been hugely successful too hasn't it? Absolutely. You know, so it's, it's a core part of our academic vision for our programs in sports and strength and conditioning. And we have new programs in performance technology and sports and nutrition also. But it's also used by uh, sporting organizations because we have expertise and really uh, world-class technology and facilities there for the sporting teams to uh, do the performance checks. Um, and that's part of the, the growth agenda for the campus. So working with Tipperary GAA, Tennis Ireland, Tipperary County Council and the local tennis club also to expand those facilities. So we, we see the Thurlis campus as being a real hub for uh, sport, but not just sport and playing, but also the, the well-being, the, the business opportunities that are associated with that.
Yeah. And we also have a very strong research agenda in, on the Thurlis campus where we have a particular focus and it's a focus for the entire university on sustainability. Um, everything we're doing now on the campus, we're mapping against the European Sustainable Development Goal or the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, so everything we're trying to do is trying to have social impact, economic impact and environmental impact um, on the campus, both in our academic provision our research and our engagement with the wider community. Seamus, I know a big consideration for parents and for prospective students as well when they're looking at going to college is the issues around accommodation. Um, I'm sure Thurlis maybe isn't affected as much as the, the major cities of, of Cork, Limerick and Dublin. Um, do you find, is that a draw for a lot of students and parents? Well, I suppose given the location of Thurlis, um Travel is uh, a little bit easier for people, so uh, the opportunities are there. Certainly the cost of accommodation in Turles and the surrounding region are significantly lower in other areas. I think it's fair to say across the country, uh, accommodation is, is a challenge. So Turles is um, experiencing similar challenges, but not as pronounced in the, the urban centres and uh, the, the larger cities. Mm. So lots of opportunities and great connections with the wider community where people have come forward offering um, uh, accommodation facilities as well. And as a, as a sector, as a group of technological universities, we are working very hard with the government and the minister to try and facilitate the technological universe, universities to develop new uh, on-campus accommodation. So that is part of our ambition, but that, that is in the longer term. Yeah. Uh, for people as well who are looking at courses, it's important for them to remember the flexibility of courses as well. It's not just full-time, sure it's not. No. So um, I suppose my role within the university is I'm Dean of Flexible and Work-Based Learning as, as well as head of the, the Thurlis campus. So we have in the university, we have over 4,000 students taking education programs through uh, flexible learning uh, models. So they can be short uh, courses just over one semester or indeed full degrees where people register and engage for a number of years. And a lot of our programs are also supported through uh, Springboard and other funding schemes. So again, our flexible learning team will be there on um, on Saturday also. Um, and then we have, you know, specialised programmes around construction. We have a digital academy for the sustainable built environment where we're supporting a lot of part-time and blended learning programmes for those to upskill in, in green, the green economy and green construction um, and lots of other training programmes available. So people can come in and take bite-sized chunks or if they have a career ambition, get involved in a longer-term programme, um, as well as our undergrad undergrad provision and then there might also be people who are interested in research so we're trying to go research uh, activity on on the campus so people can come into TUS now you can actually start on an apprenticeship and work your whole way up to, be, to complete a PhD if that's the pathway which you, you uh, wish to choose. That's fantastic and James just to remind people again that open day happening this coming Saturday what time? So we'll be there from 11 to 1 p.m. Um, but, you know, staff will be available a little bit later, a little bit uh, earlier if people um, can't fit exactly into those times. But the, the main activity will be on campus between 11 and 1 p.m. OK. Anyone maybe who isn't able to make it, can they get details of courses online? Yeah, so we, we actually launched a brand new TUS website last week. So it's TUS.ie. So all of our course information is there. 
Um, so description of the courses, uh, entry requirements, etc. Um, and contact details for follow-up. So we would be delighted if anybody can't make it on Saturday, wants to call into the campus, they can just make an appointment. We would be happy to, to take them around and they can get to meet the, the relevant program teams um, and explore the facilities. We, we, facilitate, we have an open door, so anybody that wants to come at any time, we try and facilitate them as much as we can. And that's our Ali speaking to Seamus Hoyne there, who's head of centre for the Thurlis campus of uh, TUS. Uh, let me just bring you some of your text and uh, WhatsApp. Good morning, Fran. My child was bullied in primary school, both in school, in school and online on Snapchat. The principal didn't do anything but gave the bully special treatment. We handed in our child's phone even to show the principal what was going on. Seems to be the new way to bully and there are no repercussions. The bullying was uh, quite disturbing and uh, very disturbing words used. My child has since left school, but I understand the bully has gone on to bully other people. Another listener saying, Fran, your conversation about the buses, the worst bus journey I experienced was from Cork to Waterford. The leg room was less than a Ryanair flight and the seats were leather. So when the driver braked or turned a corner, you had to hold on for dear life because you were sliding all over the place. Never again, says Eddie, who's in uh, Carrick and Sheward today. And uh, Billy says, I love the show, Fran. And uh, it uh, generates uh, conversation and uh, discussion. And I love uh, what that lady was saying about listening. The best advice I ever got, and which I've always given to my kids, is you were born with two ears and one mouth. Use them in that proportion. Active listening is definitely a learned skill, often unlocked. And uh, keep up the great uh, work, says uh, Billy. Thanks for that, uh, Billy. Another listener says, Childer, I love this, uh, Childer in primary school with mobile phones. Good God, we'd have to fight over getting a new copy long ago when we were going, says one of our listeners. Isn't that great? Uh, 83 For this week's Down Your Way, Eamon is in Kate Ryan's pub in Clanmel. Former world snooker champions Ken Doherty and Dennis Taylor played a pool exhibition against locals in the bar. And Eamon spoke to Brian Weston of Weston Electrical in Clan Mill who was at the big event. Snooker is a part of your life as well, is it? Oh, it was uh, in the household as we were growing up okay. from a young age watching uh, Dennis Taylor and Ken Doherty. Okay. So where was the club in Clan Mill? Um, first of all, there was a, a youth club in uh, Mulcahy House in Clan Mill. Okay. And then there was uh, another club, uh, Circles, okay. which we used to meet there often as well. So... It was kind of a, a popular sport growing up back in the 80s and 90s, you know. So had, had you a reasonable breaks in your own day, had you? Oh, in my own day, the most would be 75, like, but... Oh my God, that was know. good. That was tough. <laughs> uh, uh, we were good uh, snooker players after school, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, how's the business going? Uh, the business is flying. After, after COVID, now, difficult through COVID? Uh, difficult through COVID. We were actually we were on an emergency calls during COVID, so... We had to go out and attend to people like us. Um, well, we kept it going, and we, like every every business, had to restructure their business. You know, so thank God we came out to the end of it anyway. Absolutely. But look, good to say hello to us, uh, and uh, you're going to enjoy tonight as well. Yes, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll play one of the players and see what happens. But Absolutely. <laughs> we might get a lesson here tonight. So <laughs> we're going to say hello to Danny Lamb. How are you doing, Danny? How are you getting on? I good to say hello to you tonight. It's a special night. Oh yeah, great night, great night. Great to have the two legends here. We've never had anything like this before in the pub. So really exciting for not just the pub, I think, for the whole of Clonmel. 
you can see by the crowd here that I'm really excited, really excited. Well, Kate Ryan's has been in the family now for about 30 years. My wife's parents had it um, for 25 years. And then about five years ago, myself and the wife said we'd step in and let them try and retire or take over, get back, relax. So they stood back a small bit, and myself and my wife have been uh, running ever since. Unfortunately, you here. Yeah, it's going very well. It's going very well. Unfortunately, after we started taking over the reins, COVID hit. So we had a really hard two years. But since COVID, really, uh, after COVID, we got back in it. Like, luckily, we got some good customers, some great friends in here. They've all supported us. It's going really well. Shows, shows with nights like this when we can get a Thursday night when we get a good crowd like this in here. Absolutely. Our own uh, has done a bit of work for you here. Yeah, we have Owen here on Saturday nights. Uh, great man, great DJ. So, no, can't say, speak highly enough of Owen. Have you been playing snooker yourself over the years? Jesus, no, 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 no. If you look at me, I'm not really a snooker player, am I? No, no. But yeah, well, muscles for a rugby player. Yeah, play a bit of rugby. All right, well, used to. I'm too old now. But uh, no, pool is really big in here. We have uh, last year we had three dark teams. Pool table is going non-stop. Pool table goes from like 12 o'clock till half 11 to closing time every single day. Young people come in to play. They have an orange, have a coke. Pool is really, really big in this in this pub. Absolutely, doing, doing well. It's good to see a successful business, isn't it? Ah, yeah. Look, it's really hard. Anyone who's in the pub that says it isn't hard is lying. It's a really, really hard game. But look, there's some good rewards out of it. You get to meet some great people. You get to have get to have great nights like this as well. You're living out on the banks of the River Shore in Nutstone. Yeah, yeah. We're out a good half an hour away from here. So. Uh, I suppose when the hustle bustle list is gone, it's nice to go out and relax and take a walk down to the river. Sure, you're my neighbour down the road, so yeah, you know yourself, it's a lovely part of the country. The great uh, Kate Ryan's pub there, and if you want to hear that programme in its entirety this Saturday morning at 10, down your way with the great Eamon O'Dwyer, who is a pretty mean uh, pool player himself, I can uh, can, uh, testify to. All right, we're going to take a break and then we'll talk farming. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie To talk farming, Deputy Editor of the Farmer's Journal, Katrina Morrissey is with me. Good morning to you, Katrina. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. I suppose the big story has to be Irish beef being locked out of China again. How, how big a deal is this, Katrina? Because I heard Michal Martin playing it down a little bit, saying it isn't a huge market anyway. Yeah, so I suppose there's two ways of looking at it, Fran. Um, it's, it's an automatic suspension. So um, the Chinese demand the highest of highest of highest uh, when it comes to food safety. Mm. And they are the only country that we trade with that has this um, particular clause in their um, agreement with us. And it says that we are automatically locked out of China if we have a case of atypical BSE. Um, If I can just take a second to describe what atypical BSE is versus classical BSE. So if you remember back in the um, the 90s, that was classical BSC, and that was a problem with contaminated feed being fed to animals. And that had issues for um, food, for the food chain and for public health. Yes. 
atypical BSE is a naturally occurring, kind of sporadically occurring type of BSE that occurs in the cattle population that is unrelated to anything to do with feed, unrelated to anything that was there in the 90s. So it's not something we can control in any way. Mm. Um, it's not in any way posing a risk to public health. It, this animal was not going into the food chain. It was an older cow that had gone to an acre for, for destruction. Um, the reason it was found is because since the 90s, we have an exceptionally uh, detailed testing system. And it's a voluntary system that we impose in Ireland where we pick up all of these atypical cases. And there's been two in three years. Um so uh, the Chinese, as I say, are the only one of our trading partners that actually requires us to be banned if we have atypical BSE. Nobody else is particularly worried about it. Mm. And in terms of the world, um, the World Health Organization, we have the lowest category of risk for BSE in terms of risk to the public, risk to food safety. So um, is it a big deal? Of course it's a big deal when we're locked out of the market. Mm. Um, we don't want to be locked out of any markets. But is China our biggest market? Absolutely not. The UK is our biggest market. I think market. it's only worth the bill. Is it 60, 60 something million? Is that uh... the year? So in 2019, which is the last full year that we had access to China with our Irish beef, it was 40 million. Right. Um, I think it was 16 million so far this year. I suppose what's worrying and, and annoying is that it took so long for us to get back into China. Yeah, so yeah. we were locked out in China, of China in 2020 and we're only just back in in April of this year. So uh, over two and a half, nearly three years in total being locked out and we're just back in and uh, you know, Murphy's Law, mm. we're, we're locked out again. Uh, what, what do we have to do now to assure them? What, what happens there, Katrina? Yeah, so the Department of Agriculture, they have obviously the testing regime that highlighted the case in the first place. They'll have given all that information to the Chinese authorities and that triggers the automatic suspension. We will now follow up with much more detailed epidemiological reports and, and anything the Chinese authorities look for. Um, so that will be given by the mm. Irish authorities here, the Department of Agriculture. And then it is up to the Chinese how long they're going to leave us out. So, for example, um, Brazil supplies an awful lot of beef to China. Mm. Uh, they will be a much bigger supplier than Ireland to China. And they had a case of atypical BSE going back late last year. They got back in after three months. Okay. And the reason they got back in is because obviously they are a huge supplier. So they needed to get them back in to supply the bulk of their beef. We're lower down the pecking order. Um, so it's a matter of when the Chinese will prioritise Ireland to get back in, really. Once they're satisfied with all the reports that will come from Ireland, and we've no doubt they will be, it's really a matter of time and how quickly they prioritise us to get back in again. Yeah, Michal Martin mentioned three months. Obviously, he was basing that on, on the case you mentioned. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the precedent has been set that it was, you know, that's the yeah. fastest re-entry of any country and hopefully we'll be in just as quick. But Katrina, if you're saying to me that this is a natural occurring thing and, you know, you get a case every couple of years, I mean, mm. will that market always be interrupted? Um... It is, and it's something that the Irish would love to say that the Chinese would relax that automatic triggering of suspension or, you know, put in some kind of a shorter pause that it's not an open-ended suspension. Um, which it is at the moment. So if it was, you know, let's say you're locked out for 30 days until all the reports are filed and we're satisfied, that would be better from an Irish point of view. But of course, you know, trade is trade and, and I can't force you to buy anything from me, Fran. So 
I suppose. Um, there, yeah. It's, it's yeah. a wait and see. Uh, we've been speaking quite a lot about uh, Ireland's derogation cut over the last while. There's a delay to the nitrous cut on the cards, but it's only a delay, is it? Potentially, yes. Yeah. So this is big news for people who are affected, and there's about 3,000 farmers uh, directly affected by this. So we're only about six, seven weeks away from the cut in the nitrate derogation from 250 to 220. As I say, there's about 3,000 farmers directly affected that, many more indirectly affected, and we've talked about that in the past. Mm. Um, but this week, Colin Markey, the MEP for uh, North West, um, met with the European Commissioner for the Environment, Virginia Sinkovich. He met him on Monday, and the Commissioner insisted that there will be no change. 220 is going to come mm. in, despite all of Ireland's um, pleadings and objections. Um, but what he said crucially was that he was very open to flexibilities in how it would be imposed. And what Colin Markey, I suppose, drew out of the Commissioner at that point was that he would be open to pushing back the um, implementation of the limit. So that might sound like a small deal, mm. but for the farmers affected, what it would do is uh, if you're, if the lower limit is only imposed for six months of the year, overall you have a slightly lower limit. So uh, if I can put some figures, if you're going from 250 to 220 for half the year, it means that on average across the full year you have 235. That will mean that fewer farmers are directly affected but from the European Commission's point of view, what it's going to do is address, to some extent, one of the big objections by farmers and one of the big warnings by Ireland is that imposing that cut in six weeks' time means that some cows in some herds are going to have to be culled. Yes. Because they were not, they did not know about this limit coming down the line. They, when they put their cows in calves, they might have heifers in calves, they might have been planning to add cows to the herd or they might have been just maintaining it at the level that they had. They did not know that this was coming. It's a stocking rate limit in effect, mm. so they have to get rid of cows. Um, that's a very bad look for the European Commission, for a European Commission rule to be forcing the culling of in-calf cows. Um, so from the European Commission point of view, that animal welfare issue is one of the reasons why they would be open to pushing back the start date because you get past calving season. It would give you um, an overall slight, you know, a little bit more leeway there for the entire mm. year and would be better received, I suppose. Um, so what the commissioner told Colin Markey is that they need to get proposals from Ireland as to the flexibilities. So he said, we're very open to flexibilities open to um, a, a timeline change, but they need to get the proposal from Ireland in order for the Commission to approve it. Hmm. Again, going back, he absolutely insisted there will be no change to the 220 kilo limit because that would require going back to every member state and getting their agreement, and he says that's just not going to happen. Hmm. I love the way everybody avoids uh, pronouncing the uh, European Commissioner's <laughs> name. <laughs> it's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Um, I, I'm sure my pronunciation isn't good, but I do it as little as possible, just in case. <laughs> the, um, the, the, those of us who are fond of the humble spot as well, there may be a shortage uh, next year. Yeah, terrible conditions out there for yeah. potato farmers. Um, we've photos in the paper this week of, you know, water in drills of spuds. Um, our uh, journalist, uh, sorry, Amy Ford, the news editor, spoke to Tom Murray, who's the agronomist with O'Shea Farms just down the road there in Piltown. Mm. Um, and he is describing the harvest as a salvage operation. 
Um, the, there was a very late and wet spring, and now we've had the double whammy of a wet autumn. You know, a really horrible, horrible year, um, and there the, the harvest has to be suffering as a result. Um, he says that farmers are really, really, I suppose, visually disappointed. They have a lot of money invested in mm. these crops between seed, fertiliser, and now they can't even get some of their spuds out of the ground. So that is going to impact on yields. That is going to affect supply in the shops. So have we got enough spuds for the Christmas table? We're very, very fond of spuds in this country sure, and, yeah. and, uh, and spuds in all their varieties for Christmas. It's one to watch and see, but certainly not, not looking good at the minute. And is the alternative there that we'd import more then? Is, there, is that the problem, Katrina? Uh, yeah, well, yes. So if, if uh, conditions are good in other countries, imports will happen and imports of particular types of potatoes does happen into this country anyway. Mm. Um, but for the farmers themselves, you know, will they be motivated? So if, if they've lost half their crop, yeah. a quarter of their crop, will they actually say, do you know what, I'm going to do that again next year uh, without any uh, knowledge of whether I'll make money or be able to harvest all my crop? It's the mood and, you know, tillage farmers do have choices as to what crops they use. Will they go for a high-risk, big-loss crop like potatoes? It's hard to know. You know, we've seen this before, I suppose. You know, we've seen farmers choose to get out completely of crops. That's why our horticulture sector is so small in this country. You know, we have, you can count the number of mm. um, Brussels sprout producers on one yeah, hand course, yeah. in this country. Um, and if more goes, you know, if, if more is imported, that's another dampener or downer on native Irish producers. And it sounds like a foolish question, but I mean, if if this disaster happens to a grower, I mean, I presume they they bear all of the cost on this, do they? Absolutely, and it's an issue that we've brought up in the journal recently. You know, in America, they have crop insurance schemes that you, you get a payout if your crop is absolutely destroyed um, or written off as mm. such, that there is crop insurance. We don't have anything like that in Ireland. Should we have it? It's starting to look like more and more the high, you know, the high risk weather conditions, and also the you know, there's a number of pressures. I suppose you have high costs, mm. and then you have the really high risk of weather, which is related to climate change. And we're told that severe weather events are going to get more severe and more frequent. Um, so in a year like this, where you know growers are looking at their their potato crop up underwater. Um, I think a crop insurance scheme would be really a good way to go. Interesting. Katrina, always a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you and good morning to you. And that's uh, Katrina Morrissey there, Deputy Editor of the Farmer's Journal. The journal is on your shelves, of course, right now. That's it uh, from me. Uh, Emma produced. Ali looked after her content. Stephen's on the way. (coughs) Excuse me, with the time tunnel on the lunchtime show. He'll also play match three. I'll speak to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves. Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.